Ten years ago, on the night of October 31st, a small Midwestern town fell victim to an escaped killer. Under the cover of darkness, he carried out the most horrifying mass murder on record. Sixteen people in cold blood. Ever since that night, no one has forgotten his name. And Halloween has never been the same. Welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. We usually produce a bi-weekly show that's released every other Friday, but for the month of October, to celebrate Halloween, we're bringing you a five-part series featuring in-depth reviews and analysis of the entire Halloween franchise horror movie podcast style. So for episodes 27 through 31, you'll get a new podcast released every Friday in October, ending on Friday, October 31st, Halloween Day. And this show that you're listening to right now is episode 28, our second installment in the five-part series. So tonight we'll be covering Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers from 1988, and Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers from 1989, And finally, Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers from 1995. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City. And my co-host tonight is... Wolfman Josh. How's it going, Jay? Hey, buddy. Welcome. So, Dr. Shock will be joining us later in this episode, just so everybody knows. But we'll miss him in the meantime. Before we jump into this episode, I've got an update on our Fright Rags Horror Shirt Giveaway. Right after we released the previous episode, I received the t-shirts in the mail that Fright Rags so generously donated to help us celebrate our Halloween extravaganza, and they sent us two shirts. And I said in the previous episode that I did not know if they were going to send Halloween-related t-shirts. So just for the record, these are not Halloween shirts, but they are still very cool horror shirts, and we're grateful for them. So we've got a Dr. Tongue Day of the Dead shirt that's very graphic. You probably don't want to wear this one when you're going out to lunch with somebody because it is gross. And we also got a Splatter University shirt, which is also very cool. If you want to take a look at those, I'll put photo images of those shirts in the show notes for episode 28 here. So if you email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com and just list two things, where you're writing from, and your top five favorite Halloween movies, then we'll enter your name in the drawing to win either the Dr. Tongue shirt or the Splatter University t-shirt, and we'll announce those two winners in episode 31. And thanks again to Fright Rags for donating those horror shirts. That was very cool of them. Josh, I'm really excited. We've got a great special guest tonight. He is actually making a gigantic sacrifice to be here. He is missing out on about $200 worth of tips at his bowling alley where he works. This man is a real-life ghost hunter, and he is the venerable host of The Resurrection of Zombie 7, which you can find at Zombie7.com. Welcome, Ron Martin. Well, Jay, I figured if you're going to steal my podcast format, I might as well be here. (laughs) I knew you were going to say something like that, but I'll tell you what. We were doing sequels franchise reviews like you do ever since June of 2010 on the Considering the Sequels podcast. So who stole whose format? Were you doing one movie per episode? 
No, no. he wasn't. <laughs> no, I wasn't. <laughs> Touche. Touche, sir. I hope your uh, replacement gets a lot of tips tonight. Uh. <laughs> I'm just messing. <laughs> so, Ron, you mentioned the resurrection of Zombie 7. You guys do a great job over there. I hope the listeners are familiar with it. I'm sure they are. But if you haven't checked it out yet, Ron Martin here, he does more closely in-depth analysis of each individual film than I think anybody I know. It's almost like shot for shot. <laughs> right, Ron? Not only shot for shot, but no one criticizes things in the background that weren't meant to be criticized like we do. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I think it's safe. It's a very observant type of um, review there. Wolfman Josh, have you been over there yet on Resurrection of Zombie 7? No, I uh, I think I flaked <laughs> on an invitation for um, review one of my favorite movies, Friday the 13th Part 8. <laughs> Um, which apparently nobody else, he couldn't find anyone else that liked it. But uh, yeah, I, I did not fulfill that duty, unfortunately. But I, I've, I've listened to the podcast. I'm a personal fan, not as a podcaster, just as a guy of your friend Jeff Hammer, who uh, you started the podcast with. So I, I, I listened to uh, the entire Scream franchise as you guys covered it. That was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And I, I've listened to several other individual episodes along the way as well. I'd recommend it. Check it out, folks. Mm-hmm. And Jessica's funny. Like, Jeff Hammer's on there once in a blue moon, but now he has Jessica over there. Little Miss Horror nerd. She gave Jason some hell on our podcast message board at one point. I remember that. Did she? It was, I think it was about, what was it about? Hell Baby, maybe? Or oh, that's a t- something. Uh, hell Baby's okay. It was probably Bad Milo. I hated Bad Milo. But, anyways. She liked Bad Milo, so it probably was Bad Milo. She oh, would. Yeah. She would. So this episode that we're recording right now comes out on October 10th. So can you tell the listeners what kind of things you're going to be doing on Zombie 7 there for the month of Halloween? We've been doing this thing on Halloween uh, the last couple of years where we go back and we take a look at some classic universal horror. Um, So last October we did uh, the Wolfman Legacy Collection. And this October we will be doing the Frankenstein Legacy Collection. Oh, nice. That's great. I love that collection. Dr. Shock and I talk about that often. I do too. That's my some of my favorite stuff ever. So mm-hmm. We're basically doing Frankenstein uh, because of the universal monsters that were left. Jessica said, well, just don't do Frankenstein. That's the one I don't like. I like the least. So that's why we're doing Frankenstein. Jessica and I are going to fight. I can tell. Next time I talk to her, I'm so, <laughs> I'm so mad at her right now. But <laughs> I like to get her riled up. Makes for a good show. <laughs> it does. <laughs> By the way, Wolfman Josh, I want to say I just it's it's weird because even though I we recorded it a long time ago, I just got a comment on our Friday the thirteenth part eight podcast. Apparently I was very crabby, is what I've been told. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, listener, that was my fault. <laughs> I was very crabby during that podcast. <laughs> I'll take full blame for that. <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny. All right. Well, if you have been tuning into this Halloween extravaganza that we've um, ripped off of Ron Martin, apparently, you'll know that we typically don't reveal spoilers on horror movie podcasts. But in order to discuss this franchise as in-depth as we're hoping to go, then we do discuss spoilers. So everything is fair game tonight, especially on four, five and six. So without any further delay, let's move into our feature review of Halloween Four: the return of Michael Myers. Now, Michael Myers has come home. He has returned for one more night of unholy terror. 
Halloween 4 was released on October 21st, 1988. Did you guys see it in the theater that night? I was like 12. <laughs> I did not. No, but this is a movie I grew up with on, on cable. Okay. Um, and, and this and part five were my big introduction to the Halloween franchise from an early age. Nice. But, so, so you kind of started with four and five then. And three actually as well. Three was a... But, you know, I didn't I didn't even make that connection until later in life that they were related <laughs> films. So. Understandable. I, I'm still not making that connection, really. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. But anyways, yes, and Halloween 4 was directed by Dwight H. Little. And uh, from IMDb here, 10 years after his original massacre, Michael Myers awakens and returns to Haddonfield on Halloween 1988 to kill his seven-year-old niece, Jamie, played by a young Danielle Harris in her feature film debut. Jamie is Laurie Strode's daughter, and apparently we're told in passing that Laurie and Jamie's father are since deceased. So Ron Martin, without having the rest of the franchise in your mind, because we got to pretend it's 1988 tonight, and you just saw Halloween 4 for the first time, how do you feel about how... Laurie Strode has been dealt with in this film. Well, first of all, I pretend like it's 1988 every night. Okay. <laughs> and, and, well, uh, so, well, as a as a fan of the Halloween series, I yeah, I'd feel pretty gypped. Okay. She's the big uh, she's the big rival of Michael Myers, and I understand that you know maybe they couldn't get Jamie Lee, Cur- Jamie Lee Curtis to return uh, because of her status as the real movie star at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but give us somebody, you know, at least. If you're going to kill her off. Give us the nurse, at least. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would argue that, uh, of course, that's what Ellie Cornell's character was about, Rachel Carruthers. I mean, she was meant to be that that character. But just the fact that they didn't really address it except in passing. Now, again, I'm kind of ignoring what's coming after this, but they didn't really address it. And I, I think that's just terrible screenwriting or something. I wonder if there wasn't like some internal memo that was like, hey, let's just sweep Lori under the table and try not to mention her that much. Hmm. But yeah, there, were mean, pic- see- there were pictures of her, you know, prominent in the movie, so I don't know. Yes. Yeah, which were clearly production stills because no one has pictures of themselves that look like that. But eighty-eight. <laughs> um, Right, exactly. Um, I mean, I, I like the way it's connected, actually. I, I don't mind it. Um, you know, obviously, it would be better if they could have kept that core cast. But you get Dr. Loomis. I mean, who's who's bigger than Dr. Loomis in, in the Halloween franchise? Um, Michael Myers. Well, yeah, I guess there you go. And you get Michael Myers. <laughs> Although, kidding. I mean, actually, I say I think, and you know, well, I'm sure we'll talk about this. I think that's one of the biggest flaws um, of this film and some of the subsequent films is, I don't really know if I feel like Michael Myers is in the movie. Um, it's like he was recast. Uh, it's like the dads on uh, Bewitched. I just feel like I'm, I'm getting a different guy uh, because, it, you know, obviously that, that mask and, um, and that lumbering walk aren't quite what you want them to be as a fan of the original two films. But And, in fact, you are getting a different guy, <laughs> you know. Yeah, was, you really are. So... Yeah, that bugs me too. And and this is one of the masks. I've heard you mention this a lot of times now, Wolfman. There are certain movies that the masks really bug you. Is this one of the movies? Yeah, four and five are the absolute worst of yeah. the entire franchise. Mm-hmm. I, I have to I, agree. I will, yeah, I'll agree with him on four for sure. Five, five has its own cult following, which I think is interesting. 
Um, you know, I think that's that's kind of a funny idea that that the mass changes and people like that, and that it's kind of intended to change. But still, I mean, just give me give me a torn up, burned mask like Rob Zombie did. I think that's one of the things he got right. I, I want to see this mask continue. I want to see um, that character continue because really, that's that's you know the guy we're we're all watching in these movies. But I but back to my original point, I do like Daniel Harris in this movie a lot. I like that connection. I wish. Um, I wish we could have at least had Rachel be Lindsay from the first movie. That would have been a much more fun connection because there's that line, mm-hmm. oh, your your mom used to babysit me. Like, then just make it Lindsay. That would be so much cooler Yeah, um, as a concept. So that that's kind of a bummer. But, um, but you know, I, 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 I'll, I'll take it for what it is. It's, it's the number four in an installment. It's trying to recapture some of the light after the third film is a departure and a big failure. So, um, you know, we're lucky to get for in the state that it's in and frankly i think the filmmaking here is pretty good i I love the director dwight little i think he does a better job than um i'm blanking on the director's name of the second film but i think it's actually a really well-made film and in terms of setting you know the stage for halloween the holiday this is maybe the most successful in the franchise so far in my opinion Mm -hmm. interesting i have to agree i think you brought up a good point that they had a lot of kind of heavy lifting to do to go from three and then to get the train back on the track and bring Michael Myers back in. I think they did have kind of um, a big leap to make. It's an uphill battle in a lot of ways. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think it's done pretty well. What do you say, Ron Martin? I I think that's why the presence of Donald Pleasance is is very important in this film Mm -hmm. uh, because of that gap. With Halloween three, you got to have somebody from those first couple of films that's not Michael Myers to connect the storylines, right? Yeah, so I, you had to have either him or Jamie Lee Curtis, basically. And and in some ways, he's the better choice, you know, um, especially actually, considering actually, Jamie's role in the second film. <laughs> yes, and you know, we get this. You know, we'll later in this in this franchise get a a shot with Jamie being the carryover character, and so I don't know. I guess you can debate which is better between the two. Well, let, let's. I think ahead. a lot of Halloween fans at the time actually probably uh, preferred Doctor Loomis to Laurie anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, because they're misogynists. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> right, and we know how Hollywood is. But all horror fans in the '80s were misogynists, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I was only like five years old, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Well. I have to give, I mean, we we do have to celebrate Donald Pleasance, right? Because he was a legitimate actor, and he the fact that he kept showing up for these films just astounds me. I can't believe that. Like, you, you just can't get legitimate actors to do that over and over in a franchise anymore, can you? Can you think? Uh, he was getting pretty old. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think initially he lends a lot to the series. I think being able to get him in the first film is a big get for them. But as much as I do love the character of Sam Loomis, I I will say over time, I mean, he's lucky to be working, you know, and he does work right up until his death really as well. So Mm -hmm. Uh, the script series does pretty well of getting their main actors back every time, much to my chagrin. (laughs) uh, There's some pretty big names. They seem to get back every single time. That's impressive. actors like to work actors like to work that's true but sometimes you know you get these people who are like you know really well established and they get kind of 
arrogant about things. You know what I mean? Well, I guess it depends on what other work they're being offered. But yeah, I mean, we know that horror is disrespected. And you get a Kevin Bacon or a Jamie Lee Curtis who has a chance to kind of move into the mainstream. And sometimes they don't ever look back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Until their career starts to sag and they do virus. <laughs> that's uh, that's interesting that you bring up Kevin Bacon because uh, now that he's older and wiser, he's actually returning to the Tremor series. So nice. I think wow. that I did com- not know that. That's, yeah, that's incredible. Common with uh, older actors as they get older, they appreciate more the things that got them into the mainstream. Uh, Will is probably one of the reasons that Jamie Lee Curtis went back to horror after a while. Right. Yeah. Well, just real quick, I wonder if you guys will talk with me about the Sam Lewis, Sam Loomis character because don't take this the wrong way because I'm not trying to say something super negative here, but I his character is very narrow when when it com- <laughs> when it comes down to it. I mean, in the in the first film, well, uh, he was having an affair with this lady and she steals all this money and she goes to a motel and. Uh, <laughs> Is that what you're talking about? No, I'm not talking about oh. Psycho. But uh, Dr. Sam Loomis, oh. Donald Pleasance. Yeah, I mean, it, he get, it gets to the point where, like, in each movie, he's doing the same thing over and over, running around, ranting and raving, trying to get people to take him seriously about Michael Myers, and, um, and just talking about how Michael Myers is pure evil and blah, blah, <laughs> blah. And it's like, okay, yeah, we've seen him do that, we've heard him do that, and I don't know, do you guys feel like that gets a little tiresome with his character? Yes and no. I mean, obviously it's the same thing over and over again and gets crazier and crazier um, as he becomes more machine than man. But um, <laughs> I do, I do like, I do love the character. I think it's a lot of fun and he takes what maybe is kind of a boring character on paper and he turns it into a really meaty role just by virtue of his performance. You have to hand it to him for that. Yeah. Well, he's into it for sure. Oh, yeah. Well, what about the opening scenes in this film, you guys? I I have to tell you that these opening shots on Halloween 4 are some of my all-time favorite. This might be, I'm going to say something big here, Ron Martin. This might be my favorite opening, like in terms of just like those where it's not non-essential type shots, but just setting like a mood and the scenery of any horror film because it's just beautiful you get all these halloween decorations it's kind of stormy it's kind of at dusk or sunset it's windy outside and i read in the trivia that the director dwight little he did extensive research on the history of halloween and many of its harvest images and to put them into this creepy sequence what do you guys think of it i believe the word you're looking for is ambiance yes (laughs) yeah it does it I will say this. Uh, I mentioned a couple of years ago on our podcast when we did the Halloween episode, not Halloween the movie, but just the Halloween episode period with movies that take place in Halloween. Mm-hmm. That when I watch a movie that takes place in Halloween, I want it to feel like Halloween. Yes. I don't want it to feel like a couple decorations got thrown up in Southern California in May. <laughs> right. And yes, the Halloween movies in general are probably some of the best at doing that in the horror world. Mm-hmm. That's kind of tough to say. It is. Yeah. And um, I think this is a franchise that goes from Pasadena to our hometown in Salt Lake City for the next three movies. And I think that was another reason I was really into this as a kid, you know, like that that bridge where the ambulance crashes under. Me and my friends would hang out under that bridge all the time in high school. Um, <laughs> there, 
just fun, you know, it's it's fun to kind of live in a town where this stuff has taken place and Salt Lake City is kind of perfect for for fall colors and the ironic thing is then of course they shoot it in the spring. So just like in Pasadena they end up having to haul all these leaves in and they take, you know, they don't have pumpkins and so they get gourds and and paint them to make them look like pumpkins and you know, it's it's just weird that they they never thought to actually shoot this in the fall and get a really rich Halloween look, but they still pull it off. And I think those opening shots at mise-en-scene or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, is really puts you in the mood for Halloween. Yeah. And in, in hey, fact, guys like me, uh, those opening shots remind me of Halloween decorations that were in the classrooms when I was a kid. Oh, yes, yeah. <laughs> totally. Also I'm- Wolfman, did you know that that was, one of the places they filmed when you're hanging out there or did the, that's a pleasant surprise when you watch the movie? No, it was, um, I mean, I had seen the movie a lot as a kid and then, um, you know, it was one of those things like it was on, we had been, you know, going there because, and actually the, the funny thing is we were going there to reenact the lost boys scene where they hold onto the bottom of the bridge while the train goes over. So hey. we were actually doing that. <laughs> and then <laughs> seeing uh, Halloween four on, on cable realized that's the exact same bridge we've been hanging out at. <laughs> so that only enhanced the, the flavor. That is great. Is the Vincent drugstore there still in Midvale, as far as you know, Josh, or not? Yeah. And um, is that a real drugstore? I thought they just uh, made that up as an homage to Vincent Price. I don't know if it's actually called the Vincent drugstore, but a lot of these locations were standing locations. The one I know about for sure is the Penny's gas station, like service station. That's almost exactly how it was at the time. Um, in fact, a friend of mine shot a movie. In that same location, it was it was cool just to like go hang out there and, and see that that was still the same. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Now, Ron, you're, do you go to movie locations? Are you one of those guys? Because I know you go, you travel, right? I do travel. Yes. And you do you go to locations like this? Um, I don't pilgrimage to locations, but if I'm going somewhere and something has been filmed that I like nearby, I'll make the extra effort. Okay. Well, when you're in Salt Lake City to visit us, well, we could run around to some of these if you want to. To the, the so, zombie 5K? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I did a little digging while you guys were talking, and apparently Vincent Drugstore is still there. Um, just the exterior was used in the film, but um, they actually, um, it's still, they left it. It's still called Vincent Drug today, even though that wasn't the initial t- name of it at the time. Mm-hmm. Do they still sell uh, Ben Cooper Halloween costumes. <laughs> <laughs> One would I will hope. totally go all the way to Utah just to get a good Ben Cooper Halloween <laughs> <laughs> I understand. I don't blame you. That's great. Here's something I was going to ask you guys because you're all Halloween experts around me here. Um, if you look at the writing credits on this thing, you've got, you got four people responsible for the story. Four different people um, some of these names are familiar. Some of them are not, at least to me. Donnie Lipsius, Larry Ratner, Benjamin Ruffner, and Alan B. McElroy. And Alan B. McElroy is the one who ended up doing the screenplay. Now, do you think, the? now maybe you have more insight on this, but do you in think like that- In like 10 days, right? Didn't he write the whole movie in, in yeah, I think 10 days? Yeah, I think it was pretty fast turnaround time. But it's like, did they have to like- have that many minds on this to hammer out the story and how they're going to get it back from Halloween three or do you, what do you have on that? I don't know the exact, like what happened, 
Um, but as a person who's written screenplays, it's possible that there were several different versions of the screenplay and just some of each one was used in the final script. So they had to give these guys writing credits. Mm-hmm. I know when they hired um, the director, he wanted to do his own pass at it basically at least. And um, Alan B. McElroy was brought on at that point, but there was a, there was a writer's guild strike coming up. And so he had a, a very limited amount of time to, um, to turn the script around. Um, but they, he, he had known um, little previously. They were both from Ohio and so it was important to both of them actually to get that like Halloween setting correct, mm-hmm. that Midwest setting correct. Agreed. So let's film in the desert. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> film, <laughs> film in Utah. That's right. That's hilarious. Okay, so uh, thanks for answering that. I just wondered about that. And and I also read, and I'm sure this is common knowledge to everyone, that the Daniel Harris character, you know, they ended up changing her name to Jamie in the script at, as a, an homage to Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, now I have to say for, for Danielle Harris, what did you think of her, her debut performance as a child actor? <laughs> really? You feel that way? You don't think so? No, I do. I just want to make sure. Cause you're, I mean, it's not Haley Joel Osment or anything, but <laughs> right. But still yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty good. I mean, she's, she's probably the best actor in the movie. So <laughs> what well, even more, are you saying that even more so than Donald Pleasance? <laughs> yeah. Really? I can't believe the lack of respect here for <laughs> Donald Pleasance. I love Donald Pleasance, but it, you know, it's her portrayal of Jamie is feels real. I mean, that's what you know, I mean, I don't think anyone will say that Sam Loomis feels like a real guy. He's he's playing it big and he's having a great time and it's a lot of fun to watch, but I feel like she <laughs> as a child actors go is is nailing it, you know. Yeah. I it's almost like you wonder if there's a little bit of crossover there with reality, you know, since she is so young, because her uh, screaming is very, very good. What do you say, Ron Martin? About the whole Danielle Harris is better than Donald Pleasance thing? <laughs> just, <laughs> just remember that Wolfman Josh is the only person I've ever met who likes Friday the 13th Part 8. <laughs> That's right. So his taste is questionable at best. Oh, I love this. Um, no, I, I usually hate kids in horror especially as main characters. Um, but I think Daniel Harris does a really good job in this movie. And I'll expand on that. Well, we can expand on that in Halloween five. Okay. She has a better job in that movie where she actually might be better than Donald Pleasance in that one. Mm-hmm. A little too early uh, for me to say that in this film, but she, but yeah, she didn't, it's not a kid. I wanted to see die in a horror movie. Mm-hmm. I was actually rooting for her, which is, which is a, a success for her. Because I don't like kids in horror. And actually, uh, until 2010, maybe? Late 2010, these are the only two movies I'd ever seen her in. The Halloween movies that she's in. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Which caused the for a really awkward moment when I was working at a horror convention <laughs> that she was a guest at. I was going there next, brother. Let me just set this up for the audience here. For people who don't know, Ron Martin attends horror conventions because he is legit and he's had a lot of funny experiences with the talent, including um, Dee Wallace herself has wanted to hook up with Ron Martin at, at her older age. And I told him he should have oh. gone for it. But <laughs> Bro, that's a no-brainer. That's Dee on Saturday. So if you guys don't hear from me for a while, I'm recovering. <laughs> that's so funny so tell the story about daniel harris if you don't mind this is a great story i was working uh 
I was working the door at this particular time at this convention, and everyone, guests, vendors, uh, customers, are all supposed to have certain kinds of badges and IDs on, right? That you're looking for, just so you, just so nobody can walk through, you know. Um, Danielle Harris, all grown up now, mm-hmm. and me not having seen any of her movies as an adult until late 2010, and this was summer of 2010, doesn't wear any of her stuff and tries to walk through, and I stop her, and I'm like, hey, you can't go in here. <laughs> Which is really embarrassing when she's like, um, I'm Danielle Harris. Like, I'm one of the guests. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, great. I'm the one horror fan who didn't know Danielle Harris. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean... She has changed quite a bit since these times right here in the Halloween four. But uh, I was like, wait, I thought you were I thought you were like three feet tall wearing a clown outfit. That's why why you're the only one there who isn't creepy because they're in love with like a four year old, basically. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) It does get creepy, though, when you see these uh, actors or these actresses as little kids and then you see them all grown up and you're like, you know, you take a second look. Oh yeah, that happened to to us. Uh, the little girl who was in the It miniseries, the very first one, mm-hmm. who died the, the the tricycle at the very beginning of the movie. She was like two or three years old, and then she grew up to be in Final Destination three and had uh, a topless scene. <laughs> I found that same girl. It was a little awkward for me. Yeah, Connie Young, who plays um, Holly Waits in Troll Two. I've worked with her a couple of times and she's like super hot now. And that's, that's really weird. <laughs> oh, it's hilarious. Well, um, Ron, it looks pretty much the same as she did in this movie. She's just taller now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With Not that, a lot taller, but taller. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's hilarious. I like how she was a little bit sassy about it. That's kind of like, I, I figured that, but anyways, all right, Daniel Harris. Here's one thing I was disappointed with in Halloween Fort. Mm-hmm. I thought they set up what would have been a pretty decent body count gang mm-hmm. with Rachel's friends early on in the movie, and then they didn't use it to its full extent. Right. Mm, yeah. Like, I'm like, there's three like teenagers that are horny and walking around and not getting killed. <laughs> right. What's the deal, Michael Myers? <laughs> well, but something about him is it's interesting because... He is largely, for the most part, he's a pretty focused kind of a killer. And he yeah. only well, goes that is, that is Michael Myers, right? He's an assassin, essentially. Yeah, but of particular, I mean, he has specific targets. And so unless you're getting in his way, I mean, I think we've talked about this in previous episodes. Um, he typically, you know, won't mess with you too much. But still, that's the writer-director's fault for not putting those kids in his way. I mean, that's, that's, that's exactly the move. what I was just going to say. Okay, well said. Good point. I'll give you guys that for sure. And Michael Myers, I've noticed, and it's prevalent in this film as well, kills more animals than any of the other slashers that we all love. <laughs> yeah. So we know it's serious horror, right? He, he hates dogs in particular. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, that's something I really like about him. Just, well, here's here's one thing I like about Halloween Four. It's one of the few horror movies where you get a good chasing going, and uh, and I really love that scene actually with the rednecks riding around in their pickup truck. That's a that's an awesome scene. I love the way they shot that, and I love the conclusion of how that plays out is really cool. So, and and I'm not I'm not um, negating what you said, but why why do you call that a good chase scene? Just curious. What do you mean? <laughs> well, well, I just because when I it doesn't strike me as a particularly. I mean, it's not like um, 
born identity chasing. Well, no, but it's also right. I mean, what? it's like a sea level horror movie in 1988 <laughs> too. So, I mean, it's, I'm just saying, I, I just wanted to know what you meant by that. Cause you're, well, I just, I just think it's awesome to be in a, in a Halloween movie and be in a back of a pickup truck cruising around at night with guys with shotguns and Michael Myers is climbing around on the back of the truck. I mean, I don't know. It's mm-hmm. just, you don't get that too often. Yeah. Well, has Jason Bourne ever, ripped off some dude's face while he was driving while he was laying on top of the cabin. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, and also think about this in context of the Halloween movies up until this point. This is a whole new Michael in, in that sense. I mean, he's an action hero, Michael, mm-hmm. compared to what he did in the first two movies. Great point. Well, we've had... That's because I think that's because we've had Jason Voorhees and Freddy Krueger since those first two movies. Mm-hmm. So now he has to mold himself more into the 80s slasher mold instead of creating an entire new genre. Yeah, I would say this genre has really seen a lot of influence. Well, and, and vice versa. I think the um, franchises seem to influence each other. You see, obviously, people credit Friday the 13th. Well, they credit Halloween with influencing Friday the 13th. Everybody knows that. But but I, I think there is a little bit of vice versa, too, as you said, Ron. A little bit. Without Jason Voorhees, do you think they bring back Michael Myers at all? I mean, I, I think that's a good point. I think they definitely don't bring him back with the gore level that we see in Halloween 2 and especially beyond because yeah. that was not something those guys were interested in when they made the first movie. Yeah. Well, there's no gore in this movie, really. Yeah, not, not to speak of. But, well, I mean, but I, I mean, you could probably run this movie on TV pretty much uncut. There's hardly any bad language. There's no nudity. And there's very little to no gore. That's a good point. Mm. Do you like? Um, do you guys like Ellie Cornell in this movie? I know she gets a lot of crap um, from the fan community sometimes, but I feel like she's a good final girl, if you want to call her that. I think her, she actually, in a lot of ways, has a lot more to do than Jamie Lee Curtis does in the first movie. I mean, she's her character's a lot more fleshed out, and she's got some strong moments, you know, where she's allowed to do, you know, make some big moves yep. for her character. Yeah, she seems a little more proactive. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Than Jamie Lee Curtis in the first movie. But also just more just also more well-rounded in terms of, you know, who her character is and her motivations and I didn't have a problem with her. My my main concern with her is that when her one job is to protect uh Jamie from Michael Myers, she seems to lose Jamie an awful lot. All right. <laughs> you have I'm not like, a big have- fan of her jeans and, and sweater mainly. Right. Yeah, you got one job, Rachel. Come on. <laughs> exactly. Well, there's something about her that I don't connect with. I, and I wish I could articulate it better because that makes for a more effective review. But there's something about her that doesn't work for me. Why do you guys think the fan community bashes her? What do they say? Because they can't well, bash Danielle Harris because she's a horror icon. And they can't bash Donald Pleasant because they'll get ripped apart. They got to find something. <laughs> you think they got to find something to complain about? Well, I mean, she's not Jamie Lee Curtis, just like Ron said at the beginning of this. I mean, I think people want Jamie Lee Curtis, and said you get this check, and and so there's you know there's some disappointment, and probably she pays the price for some of that disappointment. I think maybe that's they blame right. her for no nudity. Uh, maybe that's I, true. I think that's a good point, Joshua. You said that's awesome. Um, I I think maybe that is it because I I do resent that in this film how like just. Jamie Lee Curtis is just gone. Not much explanation, like I said at the beginning. And then we got this new chick. It's kind of like in the Dukes of Hazard when all of a sudden you had Coy and Vance in instead of Bo and Luke, right? You guys with me on that? Yeah, that's a pretty deep reference, though. 
Yeah. I mean, I went with Bewitched, so that was even worse. Oh, yeah, yeah, that is worse. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, yeah. The funny thing, you know, you keep talking about there being no nudity. Honestly, in my mind, I I feel like I remember seeing Kathleen Kinmont naked in this movie. Maybe it's just like... Uh, that's so it's so weird that that's not the case because I remember nudity in this movie. They should have seen her naked. Kelly is so hot <laughs> that in my memory she's naked all throughout this movie. <laughs> I feel like if she does conventions, we should go to her and be like, "You need to show it because we should have seen it." <laughs> yeah, oh my that, goodness. that's always a good opener at the at the convention. <laughs> yeah, that, that. that or nothing. I heard they talk to you for extra long time when you say things like that to them. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so in court. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, how, how about this, you guys? Um, this is going to sound like a very weird complaint, so I'm not even calling it a complaint. But the fact that, um, you know, Michael Myers ends up, you know, obviously he's Jamie's uncle. And so they start referring to him as uncle and 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 stuff like that that kind of takes it it more humanizes him and it takes a little bit of the monstrosity the force of nature the all that stuff it takes a little bit of a, away from him i know he technically is her uncle but it still bugs me that they go there that often in this movie well this is something that bugs me in all of the slasher franchises uh because we always find I mean, this one was kind of unique in that he had that sister thing going in the very first movie, mm-hmm. but they always find some way to get the boogeyman's family involved. Uh, like with Jason later on, we found out he had, he had a niece uh, and with um, Freddie, they brought in his daughter near the end of the franchise. So I think this is just uh, a trend that was going on in the late eighties. Yeah. I don't nice. particularly care for it. But as someone um, who has a niece, nieces and nephews who is called Uncle, um, I don't know if they don't know my name or what's going on. They just call me Uncle. Um, it makes me want to put on a Michael Myers mask and get a knife. <laughs> right. Well, I, I did. When you said that just then, I did want to start calling you Uncle Ron. And it I, just well, they don't even use Ron. They just call me Uncle. I know, but I'm thinking Uncle Ron for you. I know you don't really do a horrorized nickname. But um, Uncle Ron might be a good horror nickname for you. It does sound kind of scary. Yeah, I think so. I was almost Ron the Ripper for a while. There you go. Th- that works too. Since we were on the nickname thing, I do like how he gets called, Michael Myers gets called the Nightmare Man in this. and Ooh, that's um, good. Because he's been the shape, you know, and that's cool for sure. But I also like the Nightmare Man. I think that's a little bit of a a deeper reference. And so... You guys want to show how legit you are out there? Call Michael Myers the Nightmare Man and test people, see if they know what they, what you mean. What were you gonna say, Wolfman? I just had a little round robin Q and A session for you guys. I thought we could give it a shot. I don't know if, if everyone's prepared for this. I should have told you in advance. But um, what do you guys think? So we've we've talked about the movie kind of generally. What what's the? Does anybody have a best line, a worst line, or Try this, a best worst line that they like from the film or would want to point out from the movie? Well, there is one that the sequence that comes to mind for me, and, and I don't know if this guy was supposed to be plugged in as a harbinger of doom, but when he right. he hopped in with the truck with um, Reverend Jackson Sayer, the, you know, the Jesus guy, said he was hunting the apocalypse. He says, you can't kill damnation. 
Ooh, that is solid. <laughs> and it and it's like it's like um yeah, that doesn't really make sense that you would be saying that. I mean, that doesn't quite fit. It's like they were straining to to get that in there, but that would be mine. What do That's you That's awesome line though, right? It's cool, but I mean, it's still like, eh, I don't know that that works. <laughs> <laughs> okay so is that a best worst line for you or is that a worst is that a straight up worst line for you um that that's probably uh off the top of my head with no prep that's probably the best worst line for me okay well the one i like as well is um something along those lines i love i i just like how dr loomis says i just like all the big foreboding in these movies <laughs> all the grandstanding you know with these characters and my, my favorite line is when dr loomis says you're talking about him as if he were a human being <laughs> I just think, for some reason i just think that's so funny to me and and it's yeah that's that's best worst for me i, li- I like it and i hate it at the same time it, it's the way he delivers that line <laughs> right. that, that i think makes it a, a little bit egregious but <laughs> What what do you say, Ron? Um, I didn't memorize any of the lines, but I will what? say, <laughs> but I will say that um, next time I watch Halloween Four, I am going to start a drinking game that I drink whenever uh, Doctor Loomis speaks of Michael Myers's impending return. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll be pretty lit up by the time the movie's over with. You will. You and will. another thing, that, another thing that caught my attention was, and I don't remember children being this cruel. My children are cruel, but not this cruel. <laughs> that <laughs> awesome slow-mo running scene where everyone's just like, man, land the back. Yeah, right. <laughs> where Jamie goes to school and they're all like, ha ha, your mom's dead. Ha ha, people. And then they're like, ha ha, your mom can't even make you your own Halloween costume, which I will mention, <laughs> these kids were wearing Ben Cooper Halloween costumes and their moms didn't make them a Halloween costume either. They bought it at the store. That's right. <laughs> But we all know that that is the uh, best Halloween costumes in town. So it can't be that good if they're on discount at the Vincent Drugstore. <laughs> <laughs> One more nickname here. And I, I'm a little bit embarrassed to say this, but I don't know if this is something that I pulled from the movie or that I just <laughs> wrote it down in my notes because that's what I thought. But um, what about Little Miss Hot Panties? <laughs> that's in the Come back, actually. That's in the movies, right? That's actually um, how I'm going to introduce Jessica on our next show. <laughs> sure, she'll appreciate that. Oh, uh, that is great. This is very good. Little, I like Little Miss Hot Panties a little better than Little Miss Horror Nerd. Mm-hmm. It yeah. is better. It will get us better. It will get us more ratings. That's true. She'll get a lot more Twitter followers. Okay, here, here you guys go. Here's the cutest line delivered in this film. I'll play it right here. Whoever you are, I have a big dog with me and he bites. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was so cute. And the way she says it's adorable. I mean, I, I actually have tried that line recently. Um, doesn't work so much for a 38-year-old man. <laughs> so, guys, do you have a uh, favorite or least favorite scene in the movie? Run first. I need to think about this. Jay first. Yeah, okay, I'll go, I'll go first. Okay. Wolfman first. I've got three favorite scenes. Is that is that okay to say? Yeah, <laughs> go for it. Let's hear it all. Scene, I've already talked about the car chase, but my favorite part of that, you know, because it is segmented up throughout the film, is when is when Michael appears on the back of the truck. That's just amazing. Yes. Um, I love the final scene with Daniel Harris at the top of the stairs with the knife. Incredible. 
And I love um, the multiple Michaels scene. I think that's a trademark scene from this movie, which I think is so mm. cool mm. Yeah, um, as well. Yeah. I, sorry, I got to just jump. I, I mean, the, the multiple Michaels scene is my favorite scene in this film, for sure. Awesome. Awesome. What it about is, it's a really good scene. I will say um, one scene I did not like, like my least favorite scene, is all the stuff that happens at the gas station on the way to Haddonville. What? You don't even like that vertigo, the little vertigo shot? We talked about this on another podcast, I think, Jason, but mm-hmm. there's that great shot where, um, which he you know, ripped off from Hitchcock and which Hitchcock ripped off from Jules and Jim, but basically where um, the camera is dolling back and the zoom is zooming in at the same time. And so it creates this effect that a lot of people recognize from Jaws, but mm-hmm. there's in a lot of movies where basically the central figure stays the same size in the frame, but everything else kind of swells. And it's such a cool, that's the cool thing about this movie. There's so much interesting filmmaking in it. So anyway, you hate, but you hate that scene. Yeah. I just don't like the scene. I, um, that shot aside, yeah. um, I just, he, I know just killing random mechanics. And then, you know, Mike Myers driving away in a tow truck. <laughs> Doesn't really, I don't need my Mike Myers driving, really. <laughs> he's always driving. Yeah, even, that, even in the first movie. Halloween H2, he's driving two cars within the first 10 minutes of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I guess <laughs> I guess it presents him as like a regular person like who knows how to drive, even though he probably shouldn't know how to drive. He is an uncle. That's true. But, but he does uh, do that from the, from the beginning of the first film, which also, you're right, does not make any sense. Yes. That he, from the beginning of the first film, just hops in a car and zip, he's off. And he knows how to get there. (laughs) If he knew knew he was such a natural uh, gifted driver, perhaps we could have avoided all this murder shenanigans. Well, that's just it. There is something supernatural about him. So that's kind of how I dismiss his abilities to navigate. And and, (laughs) I mean, he's very effective at a lot of things. And I think it comes from his evil powers. Who knows knows what he's been training on in the... Hadfield Mental Asylum. Mm-hmm. Who, who knows what he's been up to when he's been training behind bars? Maybe he's been working yeah, on maybe, his, his navigation and compass skills. Maybe he had Rad Racer on Nintendo back at the... <laughs> <laughs> so so here, here's more, though. Like I, I do love it when he's on top of the truck. I was just busting your chops earlier, Josh. But... <laughs> Well, I, I, want, I wanted to hear... You usually have very specific reasons for things. You wanted me to fight for it a little bit more? Well, I just wanted to hear more of your reasons, that's all. But So yeah. I, I give you that. That's awesome. When he's on top of that truck, that's freaky. But my second favorite scene, and I wouldn't even call it a scene as much as a moment, is when he is in the back of that cop car and you see his creepy burned hand holding still in the back seat. Mm. That's very effective. I actually felt kind of like you know, chilled when I saw him back there. Correct me if I'm wrong, but him getting into the back of the truck, wasn't that a little bit of a cheat? Why Like, is that? he was nowhere near the truck, and then all of a sudden he happens to be hanging on to the back of the truck. Yeah, but who cares? Well, that... that. <laughs> hey, when, you do, when you do an hour and 15 hour, 20 minutes on one movie a week, <laughs> these are the kind of things that you notice. <laughs> you have to care about. Well, th- honestly, that is, um, that's one of the the unsettling things about the characters like Michael Myers is he is always somewhere where you think he shouldn't be or he couldn't possibly be, but then there he is. I mean, that's kind of one of his, his mystique, right? 
or it was just an easy way to advance the plot without having to think about it. <laughs> that both of those are true, but the thing is, he is he is often he's a smart guy. He is a what, what's the word for it? Mensa member. Yeah, that's the one. He is a Mensa member, you guys. No wait, um, but but in some ways he is. He's a hitman, is what I was trying to say. And basically, um, you know, he, you know, it's like the shutting down the power uh, in town. I mean, you don't see a lot of horror movie, especially in the eighties, horror movie villains going out of their way to go get shut down the power in the entire, in the entire town. That's just that's the kind of stuff Michael Myers thinks of because that's how far ahead he's thinking. He's Batman. <laughs> he, he, he's like he's the evil Batman. The evil Batman. I like that. <laughs> well, I, I will tell you I mean, this is Michael Myers. That is a killer movie idea. <laughs> you you guys are probably gonna disagree with this and I'll probably get some grief on this, but Okay, so this movie has a runtime of about 88 minutes. And to me, it takes about 68 minutes to get really going, to get really rolling. And it's like, I understand, you know, how films are structured and so forth, how you have the climax at the end. I mean, but man, the last 19 minutes of this are, as our friend Carl would say, are rock and roll. But like, it does take some time for this film to really get rolling there. And um, I kind of lament that, to be honest. Does anybody else agree or not? Not me. Yeah, I don't know if I agree wholeheartedly. I think okay. that there's some action in the film before that. But I do think the best sequence um, in the in the movie is, is when everyone's in the house, locked in the house, and he's stalking them. Mm-hmm. Um, because that just seems more like a Halloween movie than killing some mechanics at a gas station. Yeah, because it becomes a siege narrative at that point, right, Josh? You got it, Jason. <laughs> That's hilarious. So I got a little um sad fact slash it's not a fun fact at all, but it is sad. So um and maybe everybody knows this who's a giant Halloween fan, but um, Mustafa Akkad, I don't know if I said that pr- properly, but he's the uh, Syrian American film producer and director, and he's best known for producing you know, the Halloween films. And did you guys know that in 2005 he was actually killed? He and his daughter were killed in um, Jordan by a suicide bomber. Yeah, that's, that is crazy. I mean, so I, I don't know, like I only bring that up not to be a big downer, but I think it's weird. Like when you see like horror movies and stuff and it's like, okay, all these people in this movie are actors and they're portraying death and they're kind of like riffing on death and so forth. But you know, they're just regular people and this is their job and so forth. But then when you find out that somebody associated with a film really, you know, had a terrible demise or came to an awful end, I think it's just especially sobering. And so, and his name's really prevalent in a lot of the credits in these films. And I just bring that up because it's, I don't know, kind of chilling or something. Uh, I knew, because that's Little Miss Hornard's like favorite piece of Halloween trivia. Oh, really? Okay. She's she's mentioned that probably I don't know five times on the show. <laughs> oh, <wow. It's> probably <laughs> not been edited out once. Wow. Well, I'm I'm sorry to all the listeners out there who already knew that. Like, <laughs> like I apologize. That was actually it's, uh, it's, it's it's I mean it's not something you want to celebrate, but it's a it's a interesting piece of trivia. Like I don't know. Mm-hmm. How many movie producers get killed in terrorist raids on hotels? Right, right. And and he is a very prominent figure in the Halloween story. I mean, yeah, you know, it's not he's he has his fingerprints all over these movies, and 
he's kind of like the Harvey Weinstein of the Halloween franchise. He's yeah, he's good. got his he's got a lot of detractors and he's got a lot of fans. It's a great parallel. Yeah, that that's why Josh gets paid the big bucks. I like that. Um, exactly. I get paid exactly what I get paid. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So before we wrap up with our ratings and recommendations on this, I want to ask you guys what you thought of uh, George P. Wilbur as Michael Myers. How do you think he does in this film? Did he play Mike Myers the entire film? As far as we know, that's I think. my understanding. But because Mike Myers isn't is an interesting uh, character as far as the people who've played him, because there's like a, I don't know seventy five of them now or something. Oh, right. <laughs> Whereas you know you got one guy that's played Freddy, you've got one guy a movie that's played Jason Voorhees. It seems like if you're trying to collect all of the p- people's autographs who've played Mike Myers, well, good luck on that. It's going to cost you some cash. Mm-hmm. I mean, we I talked about kind of. You know, not having your main character, you know, go through all these films. And it's such a weird thing to me because you've got these guys who are just stunt guys. So they're not like they're they're actors that are in, you know, a lot of demand. I just don't know why you can't just pick a performance you like and keep the same guy film to film. It's such a weird thing that they continue to change the mask. They continue to change the performer when it's such an integral part of these movies. I don't know. It's something that's always kind of baffled me. I got a comment on that. I totally agree with you about the mask, but my understanding is that a lot of times they wanted to switch up who was in the suit, kind of like the Zodiac killer because they didn't want him to always look the same or be recognizable. Mm, that they, sounds like a, something they thought of afterward to cover their tracks. Possibly. Well, so it depend on who's in the, who he's in the scene with. Like sometimes if they have a male actor, that they're in the scene with who's bigger, you know, they're bigger than the female actors. Uh, they might want a bigger guy playing so that the difference between the boogeyman and the stalky is noticeable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. I know a couple of guys um, who were going to play Jason Voorhees. That's the reason they got axed. They just weren't big enough to make the main male actors look small. Hmm. That's interesting. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's, you can make that, um, claim for Nick Castle. He's he was kind of a slender dude. But um but I don't know. I mean that doesn't make seem to make sense to me when you talk about George Wilbur being in Halloween four and then they bring in Don Shanks for five and then you're back to Wilbur for six. Like that doesn't seem to hold true for me. You know, and I can understand like what you're saying. Like scene to scene, that makes sense. You know, every movie has stuntmen, but these are these are stuntmen playing essentially your lead character. So I don't know. I feel like it has a bigger impact. Mm-hmm. But anyway, George Wilbur, he's apparently a sweetheart of a guy, um, but I do think he's kind of bad in this movie. Um, I think the mask sucks. His performance kind of sucks. Well, and, what is uh, it that sucks about his performance, though? I mean, yeah, and he's, doesn't, his body isn't the right shape. Okay. <laughs> when you talk about a shape, That's hilarious. you know, that the shape becomes important, I would say. And he's got these weird puffy shoulders that kind of look like he's wearing, you know, football pads underneath his close i don't know he's like next too short these are dumb these are dumb complaints but again you're dealing with kind of your iconic character and so um it's something you kind of latch on to least i latch on to i'm worried that you just hurt george p wilbur's feelings right there again he's supposed to be a sweetheart of a guy <laughs> i'm just kidding but i'm just messing with you now, again. now you owe him a card but he's got puffy shoulders and he needs to have that looked at that's right i heard that um there was this punk at a horror convention that didn't even let him in because he didn't recognize who he was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just messing. Old rest, man. Rest, 
wrestled him to the ground. <laughs> That's right. Anyways, okay, let's rate Halloween for the return of Michael Myers. And let's start with my main man here, um, Ron Martin. You know that we do a 0.5 to 10 scale, of course, and halves are legal. What do you rate this? So you stole my rating system as well. <laughs> this is not your rating system. <laughs> it's, been, it's been around since like the Stone Age or something. Go for it. So, well, so have I. <laughs> I, I do want to say that I have a short neck and I, I wear football pads. Because <laughs> <laughs> Jay is so iconic, I have to hold up. <laughs> uh, I really like parts of this movie because I thought the suspense was really good in this movie. Um, but as we just discussed, uh, the guy playing Mike Myers, George Wilbur, I don't know. In the previous films to this that Mike Myers was in, one and two, it seems like they got more personality out of the character, even without any lines, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of just there. And as I mentioned earlier, I was disappointed they didn't uh, take full advantage of the body count gang that was available to them. Mm-hmm. And basically, it's a made-for-TV movie that was released in theaters. Oh, come on. Ooh. It's... It's more it's more cinematic than the second movie, wouldn't you say? I would say. I would, the I, second movie has no. I mean, I wouldn't say that. Wow. I really felt this. I mean, I really felt like I could have watched this on. You know, I don't. I didn't even know what channels were available back then, but not one of the paid <laughs> cable stations. How about NBC? <laughs> like USA, up all night. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got you. I think I'm gonna go with a five out of ten. Five out of ten. Okay, so is that a a rental or an avoid or a buy? That'd be a rental, mostly out of curiosity because of what happened with Halloween three. Mm-hmm. So you want to see you want to see uh, the return of Mike Myers, and there's some good stuff in this movie, uh, but overall it's pretty mediocre. Okay, I see. Well, I'll, I'll go next then. Thanks for your rating on that. I actually, I kind of dig this film, and I tell you what I like about it the most. I like that this one feels more like a traditional slasher film in that Michael Myers is kind of, um, he's pretty aggressive. I mean, there's a lot of um, stalking. I mean, he, yes, he stalks in the first film, and he's, I don't know, the second film's a little bit slower again in the stocking but in this one he's a little more and I don't mean speed I mean just determination or like just how aggressive he is how how frequently he comes back and how often he shows up and so forth I like that about this film I like the scenes that we talked about the highlighted scenes especially the multiple Michael Myers moments that was awesome and the little siege narrative part in there I like so for me this is a pretty strong film. I mean, I, I give it a six, which is a good rating for me, a six out of 10. And I call it a rental. What do you say, Wolfman? Well, I think it's a lot of fun. Um, as I've mentioned on previous episodes, I have a really hard time, uh, dealing with my emotions regarding this franchise, just, you know, the way you split up the different sequels, but I do look at four five and six as kind of their own little pocket. And, um, I really like this this one. I think it's a fun addition to the franchise. As we mentioned before, they had a, a lot to overcome with this movie, and I feel like it's a good you know in, in terms of where we were in horror in the '80s. I think this is a great installment um, 
Yeah, it's I don't know. It's just a classic '80s slasher for me. It's yeah, maybe not as you know great with the gore and, and stuff as it could be. Um, but honestly, maybe because I because I saw it on cable so much growing up, I actually don't notice that, I, and um, I, I don't um, I don't miss it necessarily in this movie. So uh, I have my con- concerns with it, but overall, I'd say there's like a seven point five for me. It's a it's a high recommendation for a rental um or 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 a buy if you are somebody who's as into the franchise as i am i will say if you do buy it though buyer beware um we've talked about this this um in the past the new halloween blu-ray set that's coming out but you know i i expressed my misgivings about it but it, but as i prepared for this episode i actually sat down and compared the previous DVD release to the Blu-ray release, and it sucks, man. I, I hate to say that. We're you know friends with was Justin Beam, but they dropped special features from the DVD and gave us, I would suggest, lustier special features on the Blu-ray, which really bugs me. Um, there was you know behind the scenes making of on the on the DVD. Uh, there was a commentary with the writer which I think is invaluable in a lot of ways. And then they replaced that writer commentary with a, with a commentary featuring Justin Beam. I mean, that's fine. Like, I, I'm glad that we get Dwight Little on the Blu-ray, but let us keep Alan B. McElroy as well because that's some fascinating insight to have into the making of the movie. So I'm just hoping that the new um, Blu-ray set includes all of these features as Greg Amortis has promised us because if not, I'm going to have three sets – of Halloween four. And I don't really know that I need that many. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm with you. I think they just should have included it all. Okay. We'll move into our feature review of Halloween five, the revenge of Michael Myers from 1989. Sheriff. They want you down at the cemetery. Today in the cemetery, somebody dug up a coffin. Was a coffin on nine-year-old girl. You've come back to us, Mark. When are they going to realize that she is not him? She's just a child. They know that Michael Myers is her uncle, and that she attacks her stepmother. That's why they fear her, especially on Halloween. You are afraid. You're afraid the whole thing might start to happen again. How many people did he kill last year? Have you forgotten? But you never looked into his face, did you? You never saw his eyes. You never saw that nothing, no expression, blank. My memory goes back 12 years. I prayed that he would burn in hell, but in my heart. I knew that hell would not have him. Michael Myers is outside. The National Guard will take him to a maximum security facility. But he'll stay till the day he dies. Never die. Halloween 5 was released on October 13th, 1989 and was directed by Dominique Otheran Gerard. Is that how you say that, you guys? gotta be it's gotta be okay halloween 5 takes place one year after the events that transpired in halloween 4 so this is halloween 1989 and in this movie we see that little jamie 
still played by Danielle Harris, has some kind of a psychic connection with her uncle, Michael Myers, who still wants her dead. Now, guys, my very first question to you is a burning question, and it is, what the hell is this? <laughs> All clear. Nothing above, nothing below. What about Max? I'm so embarrassed. It's what we're here for. Rescue cats. Fine dogs. That's a job. And we love it. Just like... Are you kidding me with that, you guys? <laughs> that is not from a Get Smart episode. That was from Halloween 5. <laughs> no yeah, that's, that's a little silly. No comments? too cute for their own good. Oh, now see, I heard, or I read somewhere that that was supposed to be an homage or something, or like kind of like repeating or redoing what they did in, with the cops in the last house on the left. But that was a terrible mistake back then when they did that in the 70s, and I don't know why they would bring that back, especially in a <laughs> Halloween film where everything is just so deadly serious. It's just, it's very upsetting to me, you guys. To any aspiring filmmakers out there, that is always a mistake. <laughs> always. What, do you mean dead, what do you mean deadly serious? Like when Dr. Loomis is saying, Michael, it will destroy you too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's supposed to be a dramatic, I mean, those are dramatic story beats, right? When he's delivering those lines and stuff. But we don't need Barnum and Bailey circus clown noises behind yep. any characters in these movies anywhere. That, that's all I want to say. But There is a clown costume in the movie, so I think it's established. That's true. That is true. Okay, but the clown costume is established as being scary. Right? So doesn't that... Doesn't that How is that music not scary? <laughs> <laughs> it's scary that someone would make such a miscalculation. But anyways... Um, Let me tell you, if I was laying in bed in the middle of the night and that and those noises just started happening in my house, that'd be very scary. You would think you would think there were killer clowns from outer space in your house ready to make you into cotton candy, right? I think that anyway. Yes. That sounds. I'm a very paranoid person. <laughs> well, for a ghost hunter, uh, that's understandable. I, <laughs> I get that. So to kick off this discussion for real, that really wasn't my question. I, I just want to forget that that's in the movie. But um, Wolfman Josh... What do you think of this whole supernatural, clairvoyant mind link that Jamie has with Michael Myers? Because um, this reminds me, you, you made a Star Wars reference earlier. This reminds me how Luke Skywalker can sense when he's near Darth Vader with the Force. Yeah, well, this was, this was uh, not too far after... Oh, sorry. I guess I should check the date before I say that because I, I don't know. I'm, well, I apologize. the Return of the Jedi, uh-huh. is that what you're referring to? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was like, what, 83? And this, oh, is, 80, and this okay. is 89, so. So that you can reference that. But, um, I mean, if, if I could backtrack, the thing that I find more, just most disturbing, other than the mask, about this movie is um, the bridge from part four. Not only do I hate the opening scene, um, how Michael Myers uh, escapes his fate in part four, but I hate that they wuss out and don't use the amazing ending part four gave them 
with Jamie's character. I mean, okay, like I, there, I know there are a lot of fans that wish the story had kind of, you know, the evil had been passed on to Jamie, and mm-hmm. and now she became our new killer. I don't like that. I do like the idea of sticking with Michael Myers, but um, but I would like if she, you know, became evil as well. And I think that that I think that ending in part four is so cool. And so I don't know. I feel like there are a lot of problems. I had a lot of problems with this movie right off the bat. Um, mm-hmm. Because and just to speak to that, mm-hmm. when 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 one watches part four, you're like, oh, she took out her stepmother, just like Michael took out his sister, and you think that it was a done deal, and she really did it. And then it's almost like in this film, it's like. They don't even establish it very well. It's kind of like the way they like swept Laurie Strode's death under the rug. That's what they do with this. It's like, oh yeah, she just attacked her stepmother. Yeah, that bugs me. So they it's just they, a- they negated the entire ending of the last film, and saying we just wanted to put out, put out a little trick ending there uh, for you guys to make it look cool. We didn't really have any forethought as to where that was going to lead. Yes, which is one of the worst things a sequel can do is completely undercut everything you've worked toward in the last film. I mean, those are that's one of my biggest pet peeves with the sequel. Do you know what's the most egregious example of that in the history of cinema, particularly horror-related cinema? Hit me. What they do with Ripley's character between Alien 3, <laughs> or Alien to the Third Power, and Alien 4 Resurrection, you know? Yeah. Man. I mean, they do, they do this all the time in movies. Like, there'll be a romantic comedy or something, and... The whole movie is about getting this couple together. And then in the second film, they're like, they broke up last year. But anyway, here's a new girl that you can fall in love with. Like, that's so annoying. Here's a reference for you. Mighty Ducks 2. What was up with that? (laughs) Mighty Ducks 2. Is that the one where they were representing the United States? You got it. You got it. You're on. Yeah. Nice. (laughs) All right. So go go ahead, Josh. You were going somewhere. Ducks two reference on a horror podcast. Good job. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's the kind of thing I strive for. Um, excellence in horror podcasting. There you go. I mean, that's basically it. I, I actually love this movie, but I feel like you know the uphill battle part four had to climb was resurrecting the franchise after Halloween three and reintroducing Michael Myers. The uphill battle Halloween five has to climb is all these stupid problems it makes for itself within the first 10 minutes of the movie. That I mean, that's what's super annoying to me. So the clairvoyant thing, I don't know. I don't mind that, actually. I like that there's this familiar... If we're going to go with Michael Myers is some kind of superhuman that's tracking down anybody with you know his second cousin and you know his first cousin thrice removed, then it makes sense that there'd be some kind of psychic connection between these characters. It's not my favorite plot twist. I wouldn't have written something like that in there, but I do think, um, whatever it works. And, and again, Daniel Harris nails it. And as Ron said, she's better in this one than she was in the first one. So mm-hmm. for sure. What do you think, Ron? I don't understand where that connection was at in the last film, the mind link connection. Yeah. It's just like, uh, okay, it's here now because it's a plot device that we need. Well, they touched. That was, that's what happens right in the, in the fourth film is that when they, when they touch each other, that's when the evil is passed on to her. And so like that in that moment, that's where that's why I think we're led to believe in the end of the fourth one, mm-hmm. she gets the evil from. Right. It's right. from it's that interaction. On the beginning of the fifth one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Not, nobody's perfect. I mean, I guess that's as good of an explanation as any. Yeah, because immediately thereafter, when he, you know, 
the touching. <laughs> that sounds that sounds a little off. Immediately, well, and Michael Myers doesn't attack. touch a lot of people, right? I mean, in the second movie, when he kills the lady in the hot tub, that's the first time he touches a woman with his hands up until that point in the franchise. That's interesting. I didn't really think about that, but you're you're right. That was hot. Anybody would have touched her with their hands. I can't blame him for that. <laughs> that's funny. Okay, so you guys are well, it sounds like Ron's not 100% okay with the whole the the mind melding. <laughs> and here's here's the here's the other thing about the beginning of the film that I don't quite like with other horror franchises, it seems like okay, our character is dead. Let's bring him back to life. With this franchise, it always seems like the film you're watching completely rewrites the ending of the film before it. Mm. Yeah. Like, and, and, well, Friday the 13th that. does that now and again as, as well. I, what I would just say is it's not necessary. Like, we, I don't need to know any of this stuff. Just have him pop back up. He pops sure. back up at the end of part four. You think he's dead. And then he pops back up. Just make him pop up again. That's all I need to know. Right. That's he's back. I don't yeah, need to see like him taken to some weird shack where he's treated by a, you know, like some, I don't know. It's just dead for a year. Yeah. yeah. By the way, that isn't super clear to me. Anytime I want, I mean, I really try. It seems like in the film that they're suggesting that that man took care of him for a year. And then a year later he pops up because of when the title cards are. Um, that's what the title cards would lead you to believe that he was actually there for a year. But I think what is communicated cinematically and what we see visually, it looks like that he was only there. I mean, he, for whatever reason, see, it's so hard. It, It looks like he showed up a year later. It makes more sense that he would show up a year later and, and in 1989 and then, you know, kill that guy a few hours later. But it seems like they're suggesting that he's been there a year. What do you say? Yeah, the guy's been taking care of him for a year. Yeah, which is weird, right? Yeah, absolutely. Super weird. Has no loyalties. This dude helped him out. He's like, whatever, I'm going to kill you. Yeah, maybe that's what they're going for. Guys, I'll tell you my... You, you, you talked about your reservations like right off the bat. I'll tell you my right off the bat impression um, of this film and the fourth film relating to it. This film is very much it's basically the fourth film over again except for that clairvoyant connection and the townspeople are uh, taking it a little bit more seriously they're a little bit more prepared to fight him but otherwise these are very similar films four and five yeah well it's a continuation i would say it's unfortunate to hear later because it is a continuation kind of in the way that the the first film is, and I feel like I would the first and second film are continuations, and I, I would have liked to actually see that mirrored in these two films. I think that would have worked a little bit better than what they did, but I would say this is a better slasher film in mm. a lot of ways. In fact, I'm glad you brought that up because um, this film is actually, I mean, technically speaking, Halloween 5 is one of the very last 80s slashers. So it's like an end of an era. Everybody refers to Intruder, which I love, by the way. But that had its video premiere in April of 1989. Intruder's a great film. But this one came out in October. So this is technically one of the very last 80s slashers. That's interesting, right? Yeah, that's great. Let's find out the the details. Is is this the last 80s slasher? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to look into that. 
got a whole mess on what technically is a slasher and we're just sticking up. We're gonna we're gonna fi- define that tonight, guys. <laughs> what what a slasher is? I'm just joking. Okay, because <laughs> we we've done proto slashers, but. That sounds like a themed episode. We're going to get to the bottom of this is all I'm saying. So how about the introduction to this? I love the introduction to four with all the Halloween imagery. This you have lots of fast fast slashing and stabbing of pumpkins during the opening credits. How did you guys feel about that? Hey, we also had Halloween decorations in this one. Mm-hmm. Just not at the beginning. There's I'm okay with the slashing of pumpkins. Okay, I am too. I, I love it. I prefer four. But again, I, I love the I love the slashing of pumpkins, and we see that again will come up later in the franchise as well. But it, yes, that's true. But is it kind of humorous or something? It, it kind of strikes me a little bit funny rather than scary. It's like, I think that's I think that's what's fun about um, <laughs> this franchise. You know, I mean, we've got enter not enter Sandman. <laughs> we've got Mister Sandman at the beginning of part two, and and later, and I I, I like that weird juxtaposition and i know you hated the thing with the cops it's not the best but i do think that weird juxtaposition of things that seem kind of funny is something i really like about you know the way that this franchise progresses okay don't you, don't you think that stuff with the cops this takes you out of out of the movie though like it's yeah a, that stuff a, does but but yes. the slashing of the pumpkins no yeah i agree with that okay my my question about the beginning of the film is why is Jamie, all of a sudden, uh, a mute. Well, presumably because of the traumatic experience that she had, you know, after. And from a storyline standpoint, I'm asking from a writing standpoint. Like, what does that, how does that progress the story? What does that do for any of the characters? Because she loses the muteness about halfway through the film and nothing really becomes of it. Maybe well, it's so that they don't have to explain exactly what happened to her because she can't talk. Yeah, about honestly, it. I, I think that's exactly right. And it's a good question, by the way, Ron. I think that's a brilliant question. But yeah, because that way she doesn't have to like enumerate and just like totally describe all of the reasons why she did the stabbing and why she's connected to Michael Myers and so forth. So it's just a way to protect. Well, they have a throwaway line in there with Rachel who tells uh, Tina that she doesn't re- she doesn't remember anything that happened. Jamie. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is, I think it meant to uh, explain that. I don't know. Maybe Daniel Harris had, was sick or something. Maybe, but still, even with that throwaway line, you would still, I mean, if we were thinking about it logically, what would happen in a real world with real characters, you would, you would have to have lots of scenes of them meeting, Loomis meeting with her and questioning her and interrogating her as a child. And I think that would be boring. I think it actually helps the film that she can't talk. I think it's lazy. <laughs> Josh, yeah, I, think I, you I think you're both. I think you're both right. <laughs> I think it's lazy, but I like the effect it has, especially with Danielle Harris's performance in this film, which I can. I'm going to state right now: this is probably the best performance I've ever seen by an under ten year old girl in a horror film. There you yeah. go. Hmm. Maybe so. And may I say better than some of her performances when she got older. Yes. I I definitely agree with that. Yeah, also true. Yeah, I'm sorry, Danielle. But um who are you again? No, just kidding. <laughs> I was riffing on Ron's thing. Next so, time I will let her in the horror convention so I don't get yelled at. Yes. <laughs> yes, don't get yelled at. I mean, let me state this though. She was she was nice about it. She wasn't snarky. Oh, okay. She was like, Hey, you know, I'm Danielle Harris. Sounded a little bit snarky. Then I was like so, 
She didn't have to call you a bitch, though. <laughs> I know. I, I'm, you know, she smacked me, but I, I kind of like that. Uh, right. So that was kind of a bonus. I've heard that about you. That's what D. <laughs> Wallace told me that. I can tell you this. Someone at the same, that very same convention uh, I met for the first time, and she was on uh, Ghost Hunters International. And my girlfriend at the time introduced me to her, and I used to write reviews of Ghost Hunters International for the web, this website that I used to write for. And <clears throat> you might have to bleep this out, Jay. Okay. Because uh, her first words to me ever were, you're an asshole. <laughs> Really? What? Why? Compared, compared to that, Danielle was pretty nice to me. Okay. <laughs> right. Well, I wasn't always very positive in my reviews, but we made up. We made up. We made nice. So there you go. That's great. Um, I love your stories, Ron. By the way, that that's another great reason to listen to the Resurrection of Zombie Seven podcast because Ron Ron tells a lot of good stories. Um, you know what's one of the scariest things about this movie? Actually, Halloween Five is. At that scene where the old man that takes care of Michael, his parrot, Tookie, I think is its name, it makes the creepiest noises. I've never heard a parrot make those noises. And, and I'm like, that is freaky. And in fact, um, I'll play that right here. Quiet, Tookie. Be quiet. Very scary, Jay. I know, right? That's going to keep you up. I think you birds up. are creepy. I, I don't like them. I've never liked them since I saw the birds. <laughs> mm-hmm. I hate I this whole, I hate this whole situation though. This set is ridiculous. I, I don't know Illinois that well, but I can't imagine that this shack exists in Illinois and there's an old hermit living in it. And really even in Salt Lake city, the shack, there's no way it's there. There's not a hermit living this close to town. So what is it doing in this movie? Well, as uh, a person who lives in the neighboring state to Illinois and who has traveled to Illinois frequently, I can say I've never, ever seen a hidden mine shaft there. <laughs> right. Hmm. But I also, uh, and this was in the, the last one as well, I don't think that they're overly like in love with the fact that they're at the Abraham Lincoln state. Like I'm sure they're proud of it, but <laughs> at one point, I think it might have been in the last one, but Donald Pleasance walks into a bar and there's like a hundred pictures of Abraham Lincoln. (laughs) (laughs) You're the Abraham Lincoln state. We get it. Right. (laughs) This is not Utah, people. (laughs) That is is great. Well, this film has a couple of mysteries, which we can't talk much about because we haven't gotten there yet. But we see that Michael Myers has this symbol on his wrist, right? (laughs) Josh. And, and then there is Josh just threw up a little bit in his mouth that water he's been drinking. <laughs> That's right. It is a wonder that I like this movie, given all the things I hate about this movie. <laughs> and then uh, we also have this mysterious, shadowy character in the steel toed boots Ugh. that shows up. And uh, that's that's in this movie, too, by the way. So, um, so we have those things. So introducing, so thinking that you guys are in 1989, like this is the first time you've seen it, and there's no movies that follow this, right? Um, what is this 1989? I told you I'm forever in 1988. Okay, well, you, you <laughs> haven't seen this movie yet, then it doesn't exist yet for you. But um, in this movie, Halloween 5, you have these mystery elements that are introduced. Now, do you guys, without knowing you know what they are, do you guys like the fact that they're giving you these big mystery questions 
I'm not a fan of steel toed boots in general, so I'm out from the go. <laughs> but, you know, had this played out better within the course of the film, mm-hmm. I don't think I'd have had a problem with it at the time. Um, but since it's not paid off in this movie, mm-hmm. that I find super frustrating. It's like I'm in the Marvel Universe or something. Then to have it be paid off as it eventually will be makes it even even worse. Mm-hmm. I see what you're saying. Ron, what do you say? I'm way okay with it. You're way it's, okay? It's a horror franchise. You know there's going to be more films. You know you're going to get payoff. Like, so Mustafa Akkad, like, you know, he says... He always claims, you know, Donald Pleasance wanted to do 22 Halloween movies, which was obviously said in jest. But um, so Mustafa says, so that's what we're going to go to. We're going to go to 22. And it starts to feel like these things just start being thrown in so that they can eventually make it to 22. Like, well, how are we going to ever, you know, let, let's, uh, let's add more family members and let's add a mysterious origin that we're going to get to at a later date. I don't know. It's unnecessary. Yeah. It doesn't advance anything interesting about the plot and it doesn't feel organic to the world that's come before it, which is the biggest problem I have with it. Exactly. That latter part that you said is a 100% on the money in my opinion, because without, you know, just at this point in the films, without knowing what that mystery is going to be, it, it has, no, I think it betrays the first film. It's like, well, who's that dude? You know, and like, I mean, it's it's what's going on there? Like, that's that is not part of this this universe at all, and it's um, it, it's a betrayal to me, but not to a whole Ron different Martin. kind of movie. Whole different. Well, I mean, I mean, if okay, if you're reading, uh, for example, uh, I ha- I've I've written a novel unpublished as of yet that is supposed to be the first in a series of books. And I plant clues to things that might happen in later books in this novel. So since there wasn't an immediate uh, payoff, would that suck? Well, I think it has to feel self-contained. You, I think you have to, I, to me, I like the idea of planting these seeds, but I, I want to, I don't want to realize that they're planted seeds until I get to the later book. Mm-hmm. I, wa- I want it to be set up in a way that this movie feels like it's its own thing. And then when I get to the second one, I go, oh, that's, you know, that's super interesting. I didn't realize, but it was always there, you know, like more the, organic when it, when it's done well. Yeah. I feel like that's okay. I, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's acceptable. Okay. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm still okay with it, but I understand where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I, that, this film has a lot more wrong with it to deal with. That's something I'd actually like the listeners to comment on just this whole thing. This point that we're discussing now is, let us know in the show notes for this episode and I'd like to get your take on it. If you think that that mystery element is fun or do you think it's so inorganic that it just doesn't even fit in? It's also not just that it's inorganic. It's also not interesting. I think that's the other problem I have with it. It's not like a really cool, I mean, okay. It's shot in a semi-interesting way or whatever with, you know, but it's just not, I don't know. There's not enough there there. For it to be uh, to be that fascinating of a detail mm-hmm. for me, we've talked a lot about the things that suck about this movie, but I actually like it. So let's talk about some awesome things about it. Okay. Do you guys like the kills in this movie? I like the kills in this movie a lot better than the in the previous movie. Mm, agreed. Agreed. I would say previous movies as well for me. I mean, I like I like the first movie still the best up until this point, but um, 
I do feel like there's some really awesome kill scenes. I like, you know, there's a, a scene in a barn that reminds me of Friday the 13th 4, and I, that's a lot of fun for me. I think the, the kill in that is super cool, uh, yeah. the first kill in that scene. So what I, what I love about that particular kill is they didn't, they didn't get lazy and just go for the double impale- impalement. Right. <laughs> He's like, let me switch this up a little bit. <laughs> right. They got the guy on top in a really cool and interesting manner. And then they uh, worked around with a stalking sequence with the girl. Yeah. I know we had just said, let's talk about cool things, but immediately following that scene, unfortunately there's a, the same kind of problem we have, you know, with you've got a great potential for body count that kind of gets blown in this movie. Um, the party as the party disperses. Yeah. And uh, for the first time ever, Mike Myers shows restraint and does not kill the kittens. at this moment let me just um jump in here real quick guys we'll continue with this but want to bring in a uh a good friend of ours from way back this is the man himself and dr shock yo dr shock welcome to horror thank you thank you (laughs) you sound so tired dude (laughs) yeah i've I've been uh i've been going since uh 7 30 in a minute, we'll get back to talking about the uh, the kill scenes in Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers. But uh, just, Dr. Shark, just want to bring you in real quick. How do you feel about Halloween 5? I actually um, enjoy the uh, 4 and 5. I mean, uh, with, um, you know, I think, and I think Danielle Harris is, is, is part of the reason why. I think for a young actress, I think she does a, a really good job in these movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, no, I like them. Okay, I think that uh, for me they, they, you know they they don't quite come close to one and two. I mean they don't come anywhere close to one and two, but there's still enough there to uh, to to make them entertaining. Okay, um, and when you right before you came on, we were just discussing how we like the kill scenes, and we felt like this has some better kill scenes, at least in in the fourth movie, and um. I tell you, speaking of scenes, this isn't a kill scene, but I think one of the greatest scenes in this movie is the old laundry shoot or that coal shoot thing that Danielle's in, you know, that her character Jamie goes down right. and, and then you have that cat and mouse game with that shoot. I think that's super suspenseful and very effective. That's one of the, I think, one of the, the best scenes in the movie. You know, and I think I was reading where they, like, they, like Danielle Harris was like literally in some danger filming that because I don't think they knew exactly where she was when they were jutting that in there. It's insane that they they were using a real knife. She was holding herself up with her own strength. (laughs) Like, (laughs) and they're, and they're shoving the knife in there based on just a timing count. Like, yeah, it seemed super. Apparently the stunts on this movie, um, were incredibly dangerous. Um, Don Shanks, who plays the shape in this, um, is a guy that, that I've known for a while, worked on a few local Utah film projects with him. And so I've been able to fanboy out all over him, uh, during some behind the scenes film <laughs> productions. And he, he, he told a crazy story about how, you know, one of my favorite scenes actually in the movie is when he's Michael Mars is driving around at night, um, yeah, out in the middle right. of nowhere after the party. Right. And, and that whole scene actually feels like a big influence on scream, uh, from the moment the kids all run out of the party and, and mm-hmm. beyond, but, um, you know, that car crash that takes place. Um, apparently the director forgot to yell cut because he just wasn't 
familiar with uh, working with uh, big special effects um, scenes and he was a pretty inexperienced filmmaker and um, you know, stuntmen, they don't, they don't stop the scene until you call cut. They, they keep, they, they'll stay in a wrecked car um, until they hear cut from the director. And so, um, and so that's what Don did. He crashed the car. It was on fire and he stayed inside it. The, the big explosion happens and he's waiting and waiting and waiting. And the director hasn't called cut. And finally the uh, stunt coordinator runs out and, and stops it, you know, because wow. Don was going to die in this car, basically. So. That's commitment. <laughs> I mean, that's impressive. <laughs> that is impressive. Don is a huge guy. If you've ever seen, um, what is that? Uh, Urban Legends, The Legend of Bloody Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, he yes. is the uh, he is the uh, coach in that movie. You know, several years later, as an older as an older gentleman. But he is a massive guy. He's a, he's a giant of a man, and just <laughs> compared know. to all the other Michael Myers that come before him, he's ripped. I mean, he is super strong. <laughs> so <laughs> that's awesome. That is cool. I love that story. That's neat to know that. I love stuff like that. Little tidbits that most of the world doesn't know. Any more like that, Josh? Because we're kind of spellbound here. <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, I mean, wh- this is not even slightly as interesting but the the building that's the Haddonfield Children's Clinic mm-hmm. is one of my favorite movie locations in Utah it, it's used in over a dozen movies that same location um, you can spot it in in western movies and family films and and all kinds of stuff and it's a place that I've gone to a lot um, on film shoots and I love uh, when anytime we film in that building I'm always so excited it's on private property that's owned by the electric company um, and that whole little area where, where Michael's walking around around the tree, the dumbest scene in the movie, maybe, uh, in, um, where he's kind of like stalking her from behind the tree. Um, mm. That whole little area is owned by the uh, Utah Electrical Company, and they, it's where the, there's a power plant there because the uh, Provo River runs right through there. And um, and there's so there's this power plant and these homes that the electric company employees live in. And, uh, and so they, sh- anyway, they shoot a ton of movies in that little, little spot. But the thing that always sucks without fail, every time I film something there, someone leaves something upstairs on the third floor or something's left behind. <laughs> and then it's like, Hey, can you go grab that uh, light stand or, Oh, I forgot my purse. Can you, you know, or something like that every time. And then you find yourself alone in that building going down this dark hallway, you know, the lights are always off. It's like, you know, midnight, we just finished wrapping for the day. And, um, nice. yeah. <laughs> I have, I have a panic attack at least once every time we <laughs> film. That. That's that panic attack. Just listening to you describe it. <laughs> it's a rad spot. Seriously. Well, you've talked about the masks in these films and four and five. And in this mask, I agree with you. I don't like the mask as well, but I do like how it kind of fans out at the bottom of the neck there, which gives him the appearance of having like a freakishly wide neck. Well, again, he does have a freakishly wide neck. Right. But I mean, this seems more than a man. You know what I mean? And I I do like that part. But Dave, how do you feel about the masks in this? You know what? It's funny because I don't really... I don't really know. A lot of times, like I hear, like with other people in the the movies, you talk about the different, like you're talking about the Michael Myers masks. Is that what you're talking about? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. I've never noticed them that much, to be honest with you. 
Um, and I don't know why. It just it's not something that I really, I guess, clue in on. So for me, it was fine. Okay. Fair Dude, are you kidding? <laughs> no, I, I don't. I don't. I, I don't really pay attention to the mask. I mean, I enjoy the movies. Maybe I'm just not that intense with them. I don't know. But it's it's. I never really notice and say, "Wow, his mask is so much different in this one than it was in the last one." I I don't know what it is. I just never pick up on that. Like at least with Jason and some of those movies, like okay, this is just clearly a different hockey mask, and you know you have to li- just live with that idea. But I think the thing with Michael Myers is. It's kind of supposed to be his face. I mean, I know it's obviously not, but you identify him that way. And so it just uh-huh. it just feels like a different guy. I like the way this mask looks. I think it's kind of cool and creepy in its own right. But I hate that it's supposed to be Michael Myers at the same time. Uh-huh. I actually like this mask better than the one in 4. Hmm. Maybe I it's- think it's a, it's a more interesting mask than the one in 4. But it's it's also more obviously... Not Michael Myers. Well, they're both they're both bad in terms of matching the other movies. Yeah, this I is have, a cool this is a cooler mask in, on its own. I have nothing more in depth to say about it than I think because I like its hair, the hair part of it better. Mm-hmm. It seemed like the one in four, the hair was like sticking up, so he looked kind of clownish. Yeah, and in this one, it's more uh, pulled back. The hair is more pulled back, so it, it looks more like the traditional Mike Myers mask. I like the sticking he, up hair michael better actually but i do like the weird nose and everything that's part mm-hmm. of this map isn't this supposed to be the same mask from before like continuity wise that's how i take it i have seen people say that's supposed to be an entirely new mask um i think that's that the hermit for him i guess something? that would be the i guess that would be the mask in four that's supposed to be the entirely new mask right because he's getting it from the the shop mm-hmm. so maybe i'm mixing right. those two things up but no, you're right. Yeah, you're but sure. still, I mean, you're assuming it's at least a you know within the world of the movie. Maybe it's his. You know, he grabbed a new mask from the store, but it's still at least supposed to be the same character mask. I mean, unless they just have a bunch of weird white masks with long brown hair. You know, right. Well, and this there's another scene in this movie where there's a there's a fake Mike Myers because one of the kids is dressed up like him for Halloween. Yeah. So the later film. Films in this franchise kind of suffer from the same thing the later films in the Scream franchise suffer from. Because I'm just like, stop making the freaking mask. <laughs> <laughs> right. People right. are killing people in the mask, especially in the towns where this stuff is happening. Just stop making the mask. Yeah, this is a iconic serial killer in your town. Well, and then also in so in five, we've got the mul- multiple Michael Myers. They all have the same mask. And then in part Oh, sorry. In part four, we have the multiple Michael Myers. They all mm-hmm. have the same mask. Part five, we've got the kid doing the scream thing. He's got the exact same mask as the killer. So it's clearly intended to be that same original mask. That's the problem I'm having. With it. And one more thing on the mask bit is um, because it should be within the world of the universe of the movie, right? It should be the same mask, presumably. I, I don't know why they just didn't use the same exact mask from the first movie all along. I mean, is that, is it just like they didn't have that prop I, still I around? Think they, I, I thought I heard they lost it yeah. or just, they never, they, or somebody took it. They just never, they never thought to, you know, it was, it was the original movie was supposed to be a one and done and they just never thought to, to keep it. But I heard the second movie was the exact same mask. So I don't know. It starts to, oh, maybe the, the yeah, lore maybe. starts to get, um, right. 
inconsistent as these things go on. I've heard it, the original disintegrated, but now people are selling masks that are supposed to be ba- based on the original. So I don't know. Hmm. Well, <laughs> speaking to um, Ron Martin's comment there about, I think it was Ron that said about, that's weird that they don't ban these kind of things. Yeah. <laughs> well, they, there's a line in this movie where they say they should ban, ban Halloween in this town. And I think that makes a lot of sense. And it reminded me of the original bloody, my bloody Valentine, right, how they, exactly. they stopped doing celebrating like Valentine's day and doing the Valentine's dance in particular. Mm-hmm. And that would have made more sense as far as like realism and what a town would do if a town was just, terrified by a killer like this or just everybody move out go away mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure at least at least move jamie out yeah in town move her to somewhere in new york or something and and how about this how about stop talking about michael myers relatives in front of him like how about that too <laughs> just a little suggestion also if you're the kid pretending to be michael myers you're taking a pretty big risk <clears throat> running oh, out yeah. there with a knife in front of police. Like, haha, it's just me. Well, they don't know who you are under the mask. Yeah, exactly. You, be- <laughs> they don't you better know what Michael talk- Myers looks like. <laughs> you better open your mouth pretty darn quick. These are the cops that have the clown noises, though. <laughs> oh, <laughs> they don't even have real bullets. <laughs> oh, geez. Well, um, speaking of masks, there's another mask in this movie. Another Halloween mask that um that he dons and what is that? Is it supposed to be like a Nixon mask or like, I, I don't know. It kind of looks like a gangster mask or something, but he's sitting in the car pretending to be Mikey, which by the way, I love that that character's name is Michael as well. Yeah. Kind of meta there. That's kind of slick. That's right. Yeah. That's, that's, that, that worked. That actually worked. It's very cool. <laughs> but even that new mask, I mean, masks are inherently creepy. I think most of them. And um, that reminds me of one of my favorite slashers which i talk about like every episode of this podcast but uh alice sweet alice there's a mask that the killer wears in that that film that you would not think is a creepy mask if you just looked at it just if it if it were on a table and you just looked at the mask it wouldn't seem like a creepy mask but there's something about people wearing a mask and then being silent behind it and you don't know where they're coming from that's freaky it is scary. One of the best scenes in Scream is Ghostface has uh, Tatum in the garage and is not answering her questions. It's scary. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, what else do you guys got to say about this film? Let's let's hear it. Well, I I thought that um, in this one more than in any of the other ones. You know, obviously, uh, well, Donald Pleasance again is Doctor Loomis. Uh, I thought he was much more over the top this time around than he was in the previous one. And there's actually one point where he's, he's like, like Jamie's laying in a bed and he's like demanding. And he's like pushing her. Where's, where's Michael? Where, where is he? Mm-hmm. You know, you know where he is and it makes him like a little less sympathetic. Yeah. than it's, I think he was in, in the previous movies. It's kind of like Loomis has lost his mind at this point to the point that he's, right. he's terrorizing this child over Michael <laughs> Myers. Right, right. <laughs> One of my favorite lines is when he's like, today someone dug up the coffin of a nine-year-old girl, Jamie. Like, <laughs> why are you telling a kid this? <laughs> right. <laughs> that's, that's pretty severe. And she's already pretty traumatized by this point. 
Yeah, <laughs> you know, leave her alone. Another interesting um, Loomisism in this film is the the fact that he he starts really trying to identify the motives he, well, he, of Michael Myers, which before it was like he's pure evil, he's but pure evil, but right? now it's like there's a rage that drives him, and, and Michael thinks that if he kills them all, it'll go away, but um, he, he it's like. He's trying to identify these human traits, these human characteristics where he's got this rage and he thinks that he won't feel the rage if he kills him. And I think that is a, a huge mistake in this film to try to um, kind of, I don't know, put <laughs> put Michael Myers inside the DSM-5 <laughs> and, and like, right. it, what's I the agree. word? Diagnose him. Yeah, I agree. I think it's mainly a huge mistake because in the last movie, Luma says, "Why?" As I said, "Why are you treating him like he's human?" You're talking about him as though he's human, you know. So then, right? And then you go, but but on the other hand, like, okay, if you are planning on doing 22 movies, we're already on movie five. You've got to change it up a little bit from he's pure evil. I mean, you, at some point, right? I mean, you can't just keep going on that forever. Oh, but you can. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that's kind of. I mean, in a lot of ways, that's kind of what. Jason Voorhees is too. I mean, he's just he's just a force, a killing force. Yeah. I think all of these franchises kind of start to falter when they look for psychological reasons for these people to be killers. Like we get too much background, we we get too much into why they are like they are. I mean, for the most part, I don't care. Like just get them out there, have them kill somebody. Right. Yeah, because we don't want to start we don't want to start feeling empathetic toward our monster. Or start sympathizing with his plight. Oh, we're I gonna mean, I just, anyway. You know, like, I don't know if they really did that in the Friday the 13th. Did they ever really try to explain Jason? I mean, how can you possibly try to explain somebody who, like, is, is brought back to life by a, by a, when a, when a <laughs> bolt goes into his, when it goes into his decomposed body and is struck by lightning? Right. I mean, at that point, are motives, do motives matter? Yeah, but I mean, uh, this is going to sound ridiculous, but Michael Myers is a little more nuanced than than, uh, than Jason Voorhees. Obviously, he's still it's still ridiculous to some degree, but um, no, but you're but no, I, and I don't disagree with you. I think he is. I think you know towards the uh, as it got later in the series of the Friday the Thirteenth, it was just how are we going how are we going to get Jason back alive this time? We got to figure something out, and they just do whatever. It was it was almost like the old soap opera thing, you know. Oh, yeah. I thought you. I thought you went down in a plane. No, I was on an island with monks, and you know, it, it, kind of like they do that. In, in, uh, I think that's in, the plot for Halloween Six, actually. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, nice. with, with uh, near the end, they did get really into like his his drowning as as a kid, and in Wolfman Josh's favorite film of all time, Part Eight. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually turned him back into a kid after the whole deal in the sewer there. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Good times. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. Now I know after we're done the podcast, he's gonna go watch it again. Yes. <laughs> you know he will. <laughs> okay, we can you guys explain something to me because the maybe I'm dense, maybe I missed this, but okay, we're back we're at the Myers house, which is now what, blue? <laughs> I didn't think anybody lived there, but it's got a paint job now. <laughs> a- any explanation on that, by the way? Side note. Well, I mean, the biggest explanation is we're in Salt Lake instead of 
Pasadena, but um, right. well, I know, but they just they don't even try to address it in the movies. What I'm saying, and no. and, and yeah, clearly it doesn't really look like the Myers. It, house. it looks nothing like the Myers. House. <laughs> it's not even right. it's not even close. But anyways, and and upstairs, like there's a coffin that Jamie climbs inside of. I mean, you, we we know that Michael has all these candles and things all set up up there, right? But like, what's with the coffin? And would you get inside of a coffin? That whole scene doesn't make sense to me, I guess. I'm, I'm with you on this. It made, it made no sense to me whatsoever. Uh, Is that just supposed yeah. to be creepy? I mean, like, what? Because uh, uh, in the first movie, you know, we get the um, Judas tombstone or whatever on yeah, the bed. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a recurring theme for Michael. Yeah, he, he right. does these things, but it's like, well... Whose coffin was that? And is that the nine-year-old girl's coffin? Yeah, it's got to be the nine-year-old girl's coffin. That was dug up. I mean, yeah, so I guess yeah. that line was to try to set that up. But Well, Jamie fits in it pretty well, so. Mm-hmm. And she's it's little. Like way big on her, so it has to be a <laughs> smaller coffin. Yeah, so there you go. Okay. Um, something, I, something I really liked about this film um, was the killing of Rachel pretty early in the film. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, came see, really, you like that? It's like the, I, I the Friday Thirteenth Two move. Well, I mean, that was like right at the very beginning of the film. This lasts a little bit longer in this film. Yeah, but, but still, I mean, why? What's the point of killing her? She she's a great character. You've, again, you've we've invested so much in her in the first in the fourth film. Why not? Why not utilize her for more? You know, I, again, like this is all scarier. When you care about the characters, I don't know. It just seems like a miss. I mean, it might have been them trying to say, look, nobody's safe. Yeah, I, like that. I like that portion of it. And I think um, also she was set up to be the new Jamie Lee Curtis character who survived two films. Right, so now Danielle's the final girl. So that's a, that's a nice switch. But yeah. but the whole Rachel killing thing could have been a lot more effective if they would have let us know for certain that she was toast you know early on because i think that kind of undercut or undermined the shock of it to see her much later in the film that she was dead i think they should have let us know up front i don't necessarily think so because i think if it's just, this is your first viewing of the film you were expecting her to come back at some crucial point in the movie mm-hmm. and save the day so when you see her later on she's not getting up she's not saving the day and then when they when they make tina into the new heroine of the film and then they kill her off too it really kind of um, sets it up to where it really is just going to be like Daniel Harris versus Michael Myers. She has no help. Anyone who tries to help her dies. Mm-hmm. And that is terrifying. I mean, she is the least equipped to deal with him of everyone we've come across. So that's it's pretty cool. Yeah. The best equipped. She knew to get into the coffin. The best yeah. not. I guess so. <laughs> that, that, that again, that, that has a little <laughs> Friday the 13th on it. She tried to touch its face. Don't ever touch Michael Myers' face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> serious right and speaking of of the influences of this movie um what my favorite line my best worst line of this movie has a little george romero on i love it though i love when loomis says i prayed that he would burn in hell but in my heart i knew that hell would not have him that's such awesome <laughs> <laughs> that is a great line um i just like the simple the evil child must die <laughs> on the note through the window. I mean, that's kind of, I don't know. It's hilarious. Yeah. Who names their kids Spitz? <laughs> had, had to have been the last name. name, right? Isn't that the last name? 
It's the name of the people who make those sunflower seeds. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Dr. Shock. Well, spits, you're probably going to get a pitchfork through your face. I mean, that's just common knowledge. Yeah, that's, why, that's how it goes. Um, so, Dr. Shock, what, what yeah. else you got to say about this movie? I'm sure you got some comments here. Um, I, I wasn't a big fan of those two cops. <laughs> um, you know, the, the two, the two bumbling cops. Yeah. Um, they weren't quite as bad. Oh, they weren't nearly as bad as the two from last house on the left, <laughs> but they were there to sort of serve the same function. I think mm-hmm. you, you nailed you know? this, man. We, we've, we have discussed all this. That's great. And, oh, did you really? But you oh, said exactly what. But I don't mean to bring it up again. No, it just shows how how well versed you are in in your horrorphilia. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do like that they at least admit to it though. Like he was like, "Fortunately, we're lousy cops." Like I love that. Yeah, well, they, I think they even play like a little bit of a tune for them, don't they? <laughs> you know, like like a, like a sort of ah, da, 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 you know, like like it, it, it's almost like you expect them to do like a little two step and, and you know go off stage left or something. Do you, you mean know? this? Wait, could you sing it and just? <laughs> All clear. Nothing above, nothing below. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. Dr. Shock? Yes. <laughs> yes, that, that, would be, that would be it. I think the last time I saw that was um, <laughs> when I watched the old Bozo show from WGN back when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it hurts. Hey, Dr. Shock, yeah. did you ever practice the bucket game? The bucket Bozo? game? Yeah, no. The little ping pong balls in the buckets? I can't say that I – you know what? I don't think I did, no. Practice, practice that? that you all, mean all, from, all, oh, from the, from the Bozo show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in case I ever no, got on the show, I practice that it, all. The time. It's it's real funny because we we were um, discussing that on on an on an episode of of Land of the Creeps, and um, it was actually Justin Beam was on, and he was talking. We were talking about clowns, about how creepy they were, and he was talking about that ping pong bucket thing, and he said, actually, you know what it was, the kid, and they kept moving it further away with the ping pong balls, but he said what was the most disturbing thing about that is you have Bozo and his assistant, whoever it is, these two clowns staring at you while you're doing it, (laughs) that adding like this real creepy factor to it, that it's supposed to be this kid's game, but you've got these clowns staring like directly at you as you're doing this ball game. That is creepy. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, clowns Staring is not. A, I I, not I a tell thing. you, I, and we're just. I, well, this is getting a little off topic here, but I'm not so much scared of clowns as I just find them depressing. <laughs> you know, they, they just they, they're like they, they're one of the lowest rungs of the showbiz ladder, and they know it. Aww. You know, and like the, especially the ones that like the, with the circus and everything. They're just they're depressed people who. Who once they're done, like twelve of them getting out of a car, they go back and they all down like this vodka and everything, and they just get drunk and 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 lament about their lives. That that's what I think of when I think of clowns. <laughs> oh, dude, that's what I think of. All of our clown listeners out well, there. Well, uh, <laughs> oh no, some of them, you know, the ones that do the parties and everything, you know, and and there are some. I'm sure there are happy clowns out there. It's just that's not the impression I get. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I was. I said on Land of the Creeps, I think that they, they're like one step above ham radio operators. They, and I think they know it. <laughs> they do get to wear colorful clothing, though, and big shoes. So I know it's, it's cliche or passe now, but I still am terrified of clowns. I don't care what anybody There's, says. There is, there is just something about them. And, you, you know, and it's, it's yeah, they, they just have that, that stigma to them. Well, where, you know, I don't know of any kid, I don't know of any 
child who can sit down and, and like a clown comes in and they're like real excited. I'm sure they're out there. <laughs> I just don't know them. Only if it's Ronald McDonald, basically. Right, and he's and, and you know what? If he was bringing me a burger, I'd probably be okay. <laughs> I mean, for me, I mean, this is sorry for the sidetrack, Jason, but it so, is just the permanent smile. I mean, we talked about the the uh, Michael Myers mask, you know, giving you no feedback on what you're supposed to be feeling, and that being super scary. The clown kind of works in a similar way, where it's just there's a permanent smile. And the rest of his expression can be terrifying. Yeah. You could have killer eyes, but the smile right. is always going to be there. And that's, that's, that's deeply disturbing. <laughs> well, and, and this seems like it's a sidetrack, but actually clowns are significant in the Halloween franchise as well. I mean, true. true. so the clown costume yeah. is a big deal. And that's very true. That's but very true. I wanted to speak on those two police officers real quick before we move on. Go for it. Yep. Um, first of all, on the resurrection of Zombie Seven podcast, we have a running, uh, like gag from from show one. We're on like 112 or something now about how there just aren't any competent police officers in horror films. No, it's true. Though mm-hmm. it doesn't, they, don't, they certainly don't seem to be. <laughs> and when you get into fran- like we just said, the Saw franchise. I mean, Jason was on a couple of those shows, mm-hmm. uh, and it even extends to government officials. There was no competent FBI agents in that entire. Uh, franchise and it makes sense right because you know government in a lot of ways they're there to protect us they're unbiased they're going to you know their job is to protect and serve and so it makes sense um that you know it's it's just messing with us at a in a core way that this thing that is intended to save you is not going to be able to that's what's that's what makes it scary that all of um all of jamie's uh, guardian figures are all are all dead in this movie. It's like she, who else can help her? The cops can't help her. Her, you know, babysitters can't help her. Who who is there left for her? Doctor exactly. Loomis gets beat up. <laughs> yeah. uh, to the line where they actually admit that they're not good cops. That happens. I I see that happening in movies where the writers they'll have an issue. Like well, like we know these cops aren't good. So if we put a line in there where they say they're not good, then it's okay. It's not okay. Better character. Right. I totally agree. But Ron, just to speak to your point about not having good cops in horror films, in a film that was supposed to be a horror film from this summer, Deliver Us From Evil, Ralph Sarchi is a pretty effective police officer in a horror film. And that's that's one of the coolest aspects of that movie. It's only if they're your main character, basically. That's true. They, they they have to be your main character. You don't usually get a cop who comes in midway through, and uh, and and figures everything out and is effective. You're right. If they're the main characters, because I was thinking another one, Jason, um, that we uh, had done. Um, I think we did it on uh, a Planet Macabre uh, Resurrection. Mm-hmm. You know, where it was almost like a police procedural mm-hmm. slash horror movie. Yes. You know, trying to figure out who the serial killer was. Well, there they were. They they were effective too. But th- again, that was the main character. You know, the the main character was a was a detective. Well, Joel McHale plays his partner Butler in Deliver Us from Evil, and he's pretty pretty good too. Just just Play it straight. So, <laughs> what'd you You're say? They're 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 your heroes. They're straight. not the guys. Sent to come in and rescue you. Well, he's not a main character. That was what I'm saying. Joel McHale, he's just a side character. I was asking, if he, does he play it straight or does he play it comedy? Oh, it's straight. It's dead serious. Really? I don't think I've ever seen Joel McHale in anything that was straight. I know, right? But he's actually a super tough guy in Deliver Us From Evil. It's pretty funny. <clears throat> pretty awesome. 
good. But um, anyways, so Dr. Shock, I know one of his favorite things is the cat jump scare. Oh, that's that happens all the time. We've got a cat all the time. When I every time I see a cat, they run in front of me. They screech. It just it's just you know, it it's every I I I wish I had a dime for every time that happened. So we got a cat jumping out of the hay in this, and I'll tell you something. There's some really neat little imagery in this. The blonde in this film, Sammy, which everyone will remember, I'm sure. She she's like this little red riding hood here on Hallow, Halloween, and uh. I think it's awesome because she's dressed like Little Red Riding Hood, and then you got Michael Myers, who is obviously the big bad wolf. I think that's pretty cool little imagery there. Mm-hmm. Although she didn't really get too many questions out to him, did she? <laughs> no, she didn't. And like the uh, the girl from the last film, she should have been naked and never happened. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> Well, she even had a sex scene. A little, I mean, just a, a little <laughs> bit, yeah. So, my least favorite scene in this movie has to do with Loomis. It, it, it's an interesting shot, but it's like it's a terrible shot of um, the chain is over Michael's head, and and it's a, his POV of Loomis hitting him with a two by four. It's such a stupid <laughs> looking shot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then the aftermath of that's even worse that Michael Michael Myers gets arrested and taken to jail like you just never want to see that in a Halloween movie like yeah. what a, I mean at least you don't have that scene but what a <laughs> dumb it's so weird like I loved this movie until we talked about it tonight like, everything we've talked about has made me it's seriously dropped my score a lot it's I know. unfortunate well people are going to think we're haters on this and I didn't hate this movie Honestly, I mean, I think what bugged me the most is the whole clairvoyance mind link thing. I don't know why that bugged me, but it, it, it did. And this is kind of a repeat of the fourth film in many ways. But um, another thing that's weird is the whole series thus far, Loomis has been talking about how Michael Myers is this force of evil, so forth. And then in this movie, he walks up to him and stands very close to him while he's holding the butcher knife up in the air in attack position and tries to, like, talk him down. It's like, there is no way Loomis would do that as a character. No. Well, he, Loomis, Loomis has had a lot of contact with him, right? So maybe it's kind of like his trained dog. Like, he feels like he, uh, you know, he might be one of the few people that's in a position that can get him under control. It's stupid, though. You're right. <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> <Okay. Thanks. laughs> I, 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 I see. I definitely see what Jay is saying because Loomis would have never tried something like that in, in the first couple of movies because he said he's pure evil, you know, and, and, and I looked in those eyes and I saw nothing. And, but but uh, he said we could never let him out of the home and whatnot. Um, I, I don't know that he would, especially at that late game, knowing that Michael Myers has basically spent how many films now proving him right, that he is pure evil, yeah. that he would ha- all of a sudden have a change of heart and say, oh, hold on, maybe I can maybe I can talk him down here. And to make matters worse on that, Dr. Shock, I, you know, not only is Loomis's character kind of in- insignificant, but it really bothers me how Michael Myers himself is sort of, uh, for lack of a better word, weak and un- unstable in this. I mean... Usually he was just a determined killing machine, but in this, you know, it's almost like they they make him waver or something, and it's like, what? That's not what Michael Myers does. I don't mind that. I I think we see that more coming up, too. But thus far in the franchise, we haven't seen that from him. 
Right. Again, I, I like, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously in the minority here, but I like the adding some depth to his character by, by movie four. I mean, I guess is five technically, but this is our fourth Michael Myers installment. And I think it's time that we get a little more, um, you know, well, I, and I don't disagree. I don't. I don't disagree. I don't think you can just do the same thing all the time. I do think you need. If you, if now it, it was obviously a series, so they needed to mix it up. You're right, just a little bit. Just do try something new. And I would say just where that goes eventually. Again, not to get too much into spoilers for stuff we haven't talked about yet, but I love the way where his psychology goes in in seven. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Do we think that the unmasking scene um, sort of played into that, making him look weaker? I, because yeah. me, he oh, definitely. Me, he just looked like a random dude. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would say I would say so. I'm with you. I feel like it. that's always a mistake in these movies. I don't get why they do it. But. Agreed. Yes. Don't right. take off the mask. Yeah, there was no, when they did it. What was it? Uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Three. Was it Part Three when they were in the barn? I think it was where the. Mm-hmm. Where Michael yeah. removes yeah. the mask and you see that that face and yeah, it just it just never it's just never as it's never as frightening as that unknown. With you don't know what's going on behind that mask, <laughs> you know, you yeah. just know it's coming for you. Yeah, especially when he looks just like you know your neighbor. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I think Don Shanks is an intimidating enough guy, but I, and I think Tyler Maine pulls it off later. But for the most part, just don't bother. Right, right. I'm with you. Okay, well, um, before we do our final ratings and recommendations on this film, you guys have any final thoughts or points you wanted to discuss on Halloween 5? I want to know how um, Haddonfield keeps recruiting police officers. <laughs> Since they all die every film, it's got to be a tough sell. Yeah. yeah, well, I think especially after these two, because they're probably finally like, hey, man, we're, we brought in comic relief and they can't even make it. Yeah. <laughs> That's all they got left is these two, these two dopes. <laughs> that, that's all they could find. That that was, they were the only two who applied. <laughs> clearly, awesome. Yeah, clearly, there's not a lot of smarts on the Haddonfield police force. Right. So. They, they, bring bring the little with, girl into the cell and have her stand within a few feet of the killer. Like, absolutely. Yep. That's what you do. Um, I, I did again. I was impressed with with Danielle Harris in this. Um, when she had it at the beginning, like not being able to, like just not being able to make a sound, uh, I thought she actually did a good job with that, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I just, I, I like her, I think as, as, as young as she was, what, uh, what she was able to do in, in actually four and five, I thought was impressive. Now, I don't know about the whole mental link like you, like you were saying, Jay. I don't yeah. know about that, but um, I liked her. I thought she did a good job. We're with you on that, brother. Totally. I think the face she makes when she sees Rachel's body is amazing. It's both horrifying and heartbreaking. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yep. But if she what, made that face when she tried to get into the horror convention, I probably would have recognized her. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's that memorable. Yes. Right. All right, well, let's wrap us up with our uh, final verdict then and your recommendation and rating, and we'll start out with Dr. Shock on this. I'm still going to go a little above uh, average with this just because I do en- I do enjoy it. Um, you know, that, that scene at the, uh, at the farm. Um, uh, there are things about the movie that, that I do like. 
Uh, and Danielle Harris is another. She's a big part of it as well. I'm going to go. I'll go. I'll go six. I was going to do 5.5. I'll go six. Um, and I think that this is one that, uh, yeah, you should rent. It's a rental. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's a rental. Um, yeah, it's hard to throw rentals on these things. I mean, if people are fans of the series, you're going to buy them all anyway. Oh yeah. I mean, and you're going and you're going and you're going to own the 27 copies of every movie that's out there. <laughs> right. Yeah, I got you. So, Doc's a six and a rental. And uh, what do you say, Ron Martin? Um, I, there's some things I liked in this movie, just like the last movie. There's a lot I didn't like. I think if you combine the two movies and take all the good stuff out, you probably got a pretty decent movie. That's true. Yeah. Uh, I'm probably going to go with, I like the, I like the, the last film a little a little bit better because of all the supernatural mind links and the, and the, and the stupid cops with their theme music. So you're saying you like the previous, you like four better than this because a of little that bit. stuff. I, I think they're kind of the same. Um, so I'm just going to a little bit lower. I'm going to go four. But I will say that this is this is technically Mike Myers' third and fourth film. And I just think that, I mean, let's be honest, he's competing with Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees, basically. Mm-hmm. They're all on that A level. And I just think they were a lot further ahead by their third and fourth films than he is here. Okay, so what's your Good number point. on this? Oh, I gave it a four. He oh, okay, four. sorry, four. Uh, four. Now, is, yeah. sorry about that. Is that an avoid or a rental? Uh, no, four for me is watchable. It's a rental. Okay. I uh, like like we like um, Wolfman Josh said in the previous film. Uh, these are films that you know they were on Showtime all the time when I was a kid. So if you can see it on Showtime for free, do it. Okay, <laughs> gotcha. Sounds great. And as for me, I've said it before, but just to recap, um, this is basically the same film to me as number four was, except not done as well. Like you said, Ron, I totally agree. The cops, the clairvoyance, mind meld, linking, bug me. Um, Not quite as good, but it's still, I love that it has Michael Myers in it being aggressive, like really aggressive. He's pretty fierce in this and the kills are better. So it's still a five out of 10. I say rent it. What do you say, Wolfman? Well, is you know, I'm a I'm kind of a mess when it comes to this franchise. <laughs> I've had a hard time rating these. As Michael Myers is my favorite, um, you know, serial killer slasher movie character, and so, but it's kind of like how I'm a fan of the werewolf. There aren't any good werewolf movies. <laughs> it's 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 kind of the case with Michael Myers. Like I I, I love you know him as a character. These movies kind of feel like his inept cousin. Um, showed up for a couple of movies, but as, as, as kind of an alternate universe, I really do love Halloween four and five, and I and actually even you know there's parts of six that I don't hate, and so I kind of like this little run of films, and I kind of compartmentalize them as their own thing, um, outside the outside the normal run of the genres or of the franchises I see it, but um, it's weird. I came. I came prepared to give this a higher score than Halloween mm. four. And I actually completely talked myself out of it during our review. And it's weird. If you would have asked me before the show, <laughs> which do you like more? I would have said Halloween five hands down. And, uh, and yeah, totally different. Now I, I feel like, um, the last one I said was a 7.5. I was going to go eight with this. I'm actually talked myself all the way down to a six <laughs> on, uh, on Halloween five. Again, I'm a mess. When it comes to this franchise, I'm just seriously, I'm just like sitting here twitching. Um, don't know what to do with myself. But um, again, when it comes to the Blu-rays, our, our friend Justin Beam has screwed us all. And uh, you're probably best off buying the DVD and the Blu-ray. 
<laughs> if, if you're going to buy them or wait and see what happens with this Blu-ray release. Um, but uh, yeah, it's probably just a rental recommendation for most people. So you're saying but, six? Yeah, I'd love to see a Halloween movie about Mike Myers and Ep Cousin. Yes, <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's 22 movies, and we're only on what seven, eight, nine, <laughs> ten. Ron, you know, so 11's up next. So that's right, uh, halfway there. Okay, so six <laughs> out of ten, Josh says it's a rental, and that's our review for Halloween Five. And um, that will cry with my thumb in my mouth in the corner. <laughs> Well, that'll wrap up this portion of the show. Stick around, because in the same episode, we're still going to be reviewing Halloween 6. But we're going to let our friend Ron Martin go. And before you go, Ron, we just want to thank you for joining us. It's been an honor to have you. And uh, please tell the listeners where they can catch up with you and hear you podcast a lot more. Uh, Well, first of all, it's my pleasure to be on the show. It actually will make much more sense of this giant um, Jay of the Dead poster I have in my office that I uh, keep around to make sure that I do good podcasts. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you can find me on the resurrection of zombie seven podcasts where I host uh, with little miss horror nerd. And sometimes we have a special third guest where we do, uh, we do horror franchises one movie at a time. So we get pretty in depth reviews of each movie. Uh, currently, uh, currently doing the Frankenstein legacy collection uh, for Halloween. We'll be moving into a, a special Christmas themed horror franchise after we're done with that. Nice. Uh, and you can find those uh, episodes on zombie7.com. We just started posting our, our archives as well. So those Scream episodes, the first four that we did are available to download now and hopefully working on the other non-archived franchises that we've, we've, that we did earlier with me and the hammer. Um, and also you can check us out on iTunes and, and subscribe and, Go to the Facebook page, The Resurrection of Zombie 7 Podcasts uh, on Facebook. And that's where so you can- when, when you get to um, your Christmas slashers, um, remember Don Shanks, who played the shape here. He's also uh, the Santa in Silent Night, Deadly Night, the stunt Santa. I will. I am making a note of that as we speak. Nice. <laughs> Great. Uh-huh. Also, right. I have another. I don't. I don't. We're doing, but I'm making a note of it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Little Miss Horror Nerd pops up in my Twitter feed quite often because I, I follow uh, Shani Dreadful from uh, the Dead as Hell podcast. Mm-hmm. She's constantly retweeting uh, Little Miss Horror Nerd. And so she's popping up constantly in my feed. And um, I assume from looking at her pictures, she's, a, she's a, a pretty attractive young lady, but she's always making the scariest faces. She's like got the creepiest duck face I've ever seen. The, the one planet. where she puts her head like right up to the camera. Yeah, it's too scary. <laughs> that's her. That's her go-to picture. Yeah, it's it's it's. I don't like it. It scares me. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's me in way more ways than that. So okay, that's good. <laughs> she's she's really a trip to podcast with. So next time you're on <laughs> Zombie Seven, they're hilarious. These two, like you guys. I don't know if you fight like. A married couple, Ron, or like brother and sister, but there's a weird dynamic between you two. Oh, you have no idea the hours of fighting I've taken out of the shows. <laughs> it's awesome. All right, so definitely check them out over at the Resurrection of Zombie 7 podcast. You'll have a good time. It's really fun. You can find them at zombie7.com, and we'll have it linked in the show notes for this episode. Oh, and I'd like to make a little little announcement uh, here. We 
already talked about it on our podcast, but there is a special special thing uh, happening over the Resurrection of Zombie Seven podcast. The Revenge of Zombie Eight is coming soon. I'll just leave you with that. The Revenge of Zombie Eight. Okay, <laughs> nice. Oh. Can't wait to nice. see what Little that is. Teaser there for you. Very cool. All right, at this point in episode 28 of Horror Movie Podcast, I'm joined by my usual suspects here, Dr. Shock and Wolfman Josh. I'm really excited about this. The only problem is we have an awesome guest lined up, but through no fault of his own, he was called out to work. So maybe he's just too awesome at his job, but I think he's going to be able to join us later on, maybe, for the other reviews, which probably won't be till the next episode <laughs> as you listen to this. But right. anyway, we're going to just go nuts on this. So without any further delay, let's move into our feature review of Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers from 1995. Every legend is based on fact. Every myth is grounded in truth. For 17 years, the town of Haddonfield, Illinois, has been haunted by a night when evil roamed the streets and a madman ruled the night. Everyone knows his name. Now, Everyone will know the truth. I knew what he was, but I never knew why. Halloween 6, the origin of Michael Myers. So guys, the official title of this film is Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers. But... At different times and in different incarnations, it has also been known as Halloween 666, the origin of Michael Myers, or just Halloween 6, or one time on Entertainment Tonight, I guess they called it Halloween 6, Michael's Back, which is cheesy, or at Jay of the Dead's house here, Halloween 6 is also known as Halloween 6, what the hell, Joe Chappelle? (laughs) or, Or sometimes, or sometimes Halloween 6... Poor Daniel Ferens. Great script. Thanks, but no thanks. Anyway, those are some of the names I know it by. But <laughs> so, Dr. Shock, I understand, and I don't know if you wanted to tell this story or not, but uh, you can finally get the producer's cut of Halloween 6 in the Blu ray set, the Halloween, the complete collection. And uh-huh. most people have to pay 110 bucks for that collection, but I heard that you and a few other people thought you were going to get it for 20 wow. bucks. Can you tell that story? Yeah, okay. Uh, I'm on, uh, I was on Facebook yesterday, and um, Greg Amortis, the host of um, Land of the Creeps, sends me a quick uh, instant message saying, yo, uh, over on TCM.com, you know, TurnerClassicMovies.com, they have a shop where they sell DVDs. They are offering the new 15-disc Blu-ray Halloween set for 1998, I think it was. <laughs> I was like, whoa. So I look it up. I'm like, wow, it's there. It's a live link. It doesn't make a lick of sense. And I'm sure it's a mistake, but let me give it a try. So I put it in order. I got a confirmation. I got, you know, it should ship tomorrow. But then I'm guessing, uh, well, at the- <laughs> There's a whole, a whole lot of things started to happen. Um, supposedly, and I saw this in a few <laughs> forums, this woman on Twitter contacted TCM saying, yo, what the hell? 
I pay this type of money and you're giving these new things away for this. So they sent it to the shop and all of a sudden, boom, the links are down. Okay. Clearly it was a mistake. I don't, as I was looking at it, there was no way in my mind I was thinking it wasn't a mistake, that it wasn't somebody saying, Hey, let's use this to pull more people in because at 1998, uh, from what other people are charging, they're losing money. Mm-hmm. It's costing them more than 1998. There's just no way it's not. It's it's costing them less than that. Yeah, it's so like 110 bucks on Amazon. Yeah, exactly. So, and Amazon has such. I'm assuming has a low markup on these kind of things, but I don't know for sure. But I'm assuming they do. But anyway, then I'll look in in the morning, the, like the morning that it would have shipped, and it's all it's all of a sudden listed as back ordered. Okay, fine. Whatever. I'm thinking they finally caught on to it, and I, I was thinking I doubt this thing's going to go through. Sure enough, by the time I got home from work, I had um, I had looked and it had been canceled. Uh, originally, I was more upset that they didn't alert me that it was canceled. I pretty much had, had come to the realization I wasn't getting this thing for 1998, and I was more upset that they didn't even contact me. Well, it turns out that they did. It got it got lost in my like spam folder or something because it came from this uh, like a different uh, area and they they offered a 30% code for everyone as an apology but they could not fulfill the orders the 30% off discount doesn't really matter when you're charging 40 to 50% more than a lot of other online sites yes um, <laughs> it's, it's it's still not going to save me any money to buy from you when i could get it cheaper at amazon so i don't think i'll ever use that 30% code but by the same token <laughs> a lot of a lot of people are really upset that they decided not to honor it. Right. I was always under the understanding that if you had something advertised at a certain price, customers always write and you have to honor it. That well, I can't believe this. I was under the same impression too. I worked at a video store for years and it was always the customers always right. If, if people complained, we gave them anything they wanted essentially just so they would well, stop that, complaining. That's what mm-hmm. it is. Where I work now, if there's a wrong price on something, if it's to the customer's advantage, mm-hmm. we have to honor it. Yep. The company was a major rental company, and so like they basically didn't care. You could credit an account hundreds of dollars <laughs> if you needed to, you know. Like there was really no limit, right, on but what yeah, you could but, do, and and, because, and you know, and anybody can make that choice too. It didn't have to be the manager or anything. <laughs> if you're dealing with customers on a regular basis, and and that's really where your bread and butter is, you've got to do that. All right, thanks for telling us that story. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, guys, Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers was released on September 29th, 1995, and it was directed by TV show director and producer Joe Chappelle. Now, just a side note here. I really I'm like, okay, what what is this guy? What has he done? And he actually directed a number of episodes of The Wire and some other respectable TV shows. You have any- well, he he only directed a handful of episodes of The Wire, but he produced like all of the episodes of The Wire, mm-hmm. so. which is, in my opinion, the greatest TV show ever made. So it's like this is really weird. This doesn't quite add up, and so I just wondered. Well, just side his note: filmography pre-TV. I mean, basically, I would have to guess between this and Phantoms that ended his movie directing. Um, right <laughs> career. I mean, he's, the films he's directed have been terrible. Mm-hmm. Phantoms is a notoriously terrible film. Halloween five or six is a notoriously terrible film, and The Skulls two, which he also directed, is a notoriously terrible film. So, I mean, he's not he's not batting too high on his TV or on his movie uh, releases, but you know, TV considerably better. 
It's just funny. I know, you, I know you're a CSI fan as well. I, I do kind of like it, and people can make fun of me. I don't care. Well, we don't have a great transition here into no. Halloween 6. And so here, here's a broad strokes overview, you guys, as near as I can tell with this film's editing here. And just a little side note, I know we'll discuss this probably at length in this review, but if you've ever wondered if editing or, or why editing is supposedly important, important then watch halloween 6 and i think you'll see that so halloween well, 6 <laughs> it's not like it's just some bad editing though i mean it's complete rewriting reworking of this whole story yeah so. yeah, yeah but it's, it's, uh, it's a little beyond just simple editing true but but it's definitely a great illustration of what happens if you have very clunky editing right I think it's an example of what the Weinsteins can do if they really get involved in your movie. <laughs> yes. I think that says it perfectly. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I hope one of you um, can tell us more about that here in a moment. But real quick, so just for the people who don't know, remember we're covering all kinds of spoilers. So Halloween 6 picks up six years after the previous film. So it opens on October 30th, 1995. And since the events of Halloween 5, Michael Myers and his niece Jamie Lloyd, now played by J.C. Brandy, they have disappeared. And by the time this film opens, we see 15-year-old Jamie delivering a baby while she's being held captive by some cult, ostensibly run by this mysterious man in black from the previous movie. But Jamie and her baby escape temporarily until she's killed by the shape but not before stashing her baby, who's later found by Tommy Doyle, played by Paul Rudd. Now, this Tommy Doyle's the same kid that Laurie Strode was babysitting back in 1978, and he's like 25 years old now, somewhere around I would around have there. never guessed he would have grown up to be Paul Rudd. I know, it's so <laughs> weird. Um, and Tommy's the one that ends up naming this kid. Names the baby boy Steven. So, anyway, he's long been obsessed with... Which is Paul Rudd's middle name, by the way. Nice. Good. Because I'm, oh, like, I'm like, why would they name this baby Steven? That's the dumbest name. For, <laughs> Sorry, Stevens the, out there. I think it's the name <laughs> Steven. I just mean, like, there, it doesn't seem to have any significance to the, you know, the story, considering who the baby is supposed to be in alternate versions of the film. And... um. Anyway, you, you know what, Wolfman? Right. Yeah, you, you just pissed off Stephen King real bad. Right <laughs> <laughs> but I wondered if it was just because it's Paul Paul Rudd's middle name. I don't know. I could that no, could that, be it. That's yeah. that's awesome. I like that. So Tommy, he, he's obsessed with trying to figure out Michael Myers, learn his motives and stuff. And you've got the Strodes living in the Myers house now. And long story short, because this movie's plot kind of sprawls on and on. Halloween 1995's here, and Michael Myers is coming back home again. He's out to kill Laurie Strode's grandson, Stephen, and several other people of Haddonfield. And naturally, Dr. Loomis and Tommy and one Kara Strode try to protect the baby. But there's this cult in town making matters much more perilous for those who try to flee from Michael Myers. And um, honestly, you guys, I, I mean, can you believe this? This is me trying to give up. A just a broad stroke premise. I mean, look at all that. This is one of the most convoluted plots. Yeah, it is all over. And you know, each time I see it, I, I, <laughs> I forget from the previous time as, as to how 
many branches it, it how many how many how much it branches off into so many different thank you areas well you know? said. i mean and it, again it's made so much worse by the fact that most of the original film doesn't make it into the final version of the movie mm-hmm. so it's just so confusing yeah to watch if you're if you're trying to make sense of it i mean you can watch it on a very superficial level and you know not think much about it but if you're trying <laughs> right. to figure out what's going on at all especially as a fan of the franchise <laughs> good luck yeah, it, yeah. It, it's very alienating if you you know if you're wa- watching through and then you come into this and you're like what's going on because there is no context for what's happening but sadly in the end of this, because of the actual death of Donald Pleasance in real life, and because of some behind-the-scenes stuff that we'll talk about here in just a minute, Halloween 6 has the a dishonorable, I think, off-screen death of Dr. Sam Loomis, which we can only glean from these screams that are his. And so there's a lot more to it, like a shock jock, Barry Sims, the Curse of Thorn, and Dr. Wynn, but we'll all be talking about that. So, who would like to explain the behind-the-scenes drama that resulted in the butchering of this film? Well, it was a, it was a film that there were several versions of the screenplay. Um, and as you alluded to before, uh, originally under the title, um, The Origin of Michael Myers. And uh, they could never really come to a version of that script that they like. And so they end up hiring Daniel Ferens to rewrite it. According to him, he did about 11 drafts of, of the film, um, and he named it Halloween 666, um, which led to you know the release of this teaser trailer with the title Halloween 666, The Origin of Michael Myers, which is a combo of the two titles. And then according to Farron's, um, Mustafa Akkad, you know, when they were trying to – when they were all clearly unhappy with that terrible name, um, asked him what he thought he should call it, and he said uh, – how about the curse of Michael Myers? Basically referring to how terrible the production had gone. And he's like, oh, I like that. So that, that's what they ended up going with. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it was it was a mess. And it was the first film that the uh, the Weinstein brothers owned the owned the franchise. It was a Dimensions film release, you know, with Mustafa Kod still attached, but Dimension coming on as you know this new production company and the future home of the series. And it wasn't a great first outing for dimension. You know, the Weinstein's are big on test screenings. Mm-hmm. Apparently this one went terribly. And so after it did, and after people, you know, reacted poorly to the whole thorn subplot, which I, I don't blame them for. Yes. Um, they went back and cut about, you know, 70% of the thorn plot line out of the film, which I, which I believe amounted to about 40 minutes of um of the original film yes and then had to reshoot and donald pleasance was not available for those reshoots due to his his untimely death and so yeah, i mean yeah it's just resulting in a huge mess of a movie you know i personally would have been very happy had they cut out the entire thorn plot line um myself yeah. but mm-hmm. it's too bad because i feel like uh paul rudd i actually really like him in the movie mm-hmm. i'm glad yeah. to see yeah. the return of tommy i think marianne hagan is a is a she i know she's not well liked within the halloween fan community but i love her i i, I do too i think she's excellent in the film yes um i think there's a lot of potential here i think it would have been awesome um, to bring back Daniel Harris and, and, you know, according to her, she wasn't offered the part, but then there are other reports that 
she was offered the part, but she didn't like the way her character died in the movie. And then, and so, and I've I've read that she, you know, she wanted like too much money. Basically, they told her no. So I've heard, yeah. So there are varying accounts as to why she's not in this film. But man, I I would have loved to see her back in this movie with Paul Rudd and Marianne Hagen. I feel like they could have done something really interesting. Um, but then, you know, there are all these rumors, you know, and I say rumors because I haven't seen the, the bootleg version of Halloween 666, otherwise known as the producer's cut. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm actually very interested to seeing a high quality version of that. If it is going to be on this new release, it is. Um, but, um, but I haven't seen it. And so there are just all these rumors floating around as to, you know, what exactly happens in that. And one of them is that, um, this baby Steven is actually Michael Myers baby with his niece. And so, I don't know, there are a lot of interesting little, I don't know if interesting is the right word. There are a lot of weird <laughs> little factoids, um, you know, that, I, that I'll be, I'd be curious to see come to light. And apparently the producer's cut is better, but um, yes. that's not saying much. You know? Well, yeah. <laughs> well, well here, here's what makes me sad, though, Josh. This reminded me so much of you, and um, that's not why it made me sad. <laughs> I, I just wanted to tell you. So I read... That Daniel Farren's okay when he when he went to work on this, I guess he was very serious. He took this script so seriously, and this is a quote here from um I think I got this from Wikipedia. He said, "I spent weeks preparing for the meeting, and that's with Mustafa Akkad, okay, the executive producer." He said, "I spent weeks preparing for the meeting and came in with a huge notebook filled." With Halloween research, I had the entire series laid out in a timeline, a bio of every character, a family tree of the Myers and Strode clans, as well as all the research I had compiled about the runic symbol Thorn that was briefly shown in Halloween 5. I then laid out how I thought all of this might be explored in Halloween 6. And when I read that, Josh, it just I'm like, if Josh had worked on this, he would have done exactly that. And and with a guy with this kind of commitment, it just makes me sad that it seems like his vision was disrespected so much. I on one hand, I I one hundred percent agree with you, but just the fact that Thorn plays such a big role in what the future of this series would be, part of me is glad that this was just such a huge mess um, because I'm glad that they decided, you know what, let's reboot this with Kevin Williamson after this successive screen because. <laughs> right. I think that's what the franchise needed. Um, you know, I don't think starting to track down Michael's second cousins and, you know, first cousins once removed and, you know, this course, this uh, curse of Thorn being the main driving force of the series is not something I, as a fan of the original film, have any interest in whatsoever. So, I mean, I, I was much happier with where, you know, H2O took the story back to its origins to some degree. And um, and so, I don't know, like, yeah, I mean, it's, it is sad that a guy put that much effort into it and actually cared about this fledgling franchise, but I'm not sure I loved where he, what he was going to do with it. So, hmm. Yeah, the only, I, I agree with you in, in spirit there, because, yeah, the worst thing about the, the Thorn subplot is the fact that they're trying to... Ex- they try to use that to explain away Michael Myers and really demystify him. And um, I think that's hugely problematic. But on the other hand, it's like, well, I, I don't love it in its current state, but apparently they butchered it. So I wonder what this guy would have done with it 
you know, if it could have been done well, I mean, I, it makes me curious. I, I, I oh yeah, I don't totally disagree with you, but I, I didn't even like the man in black in Halloween five. So yeah, that's yeah. dumb. Doc. Um, yeah, I don't even know where to, where to start with this movie. I was, <clears throat> I didn't like the whole man in black either. Um, and this one, I just got done watching again, you know, uh, about 15, 20 minutes before we started recording here. <laughs> um, yeah. It, <laughs> just, just where to start. I mean, you get these, these sort of um, jarring quick cuts throughout the movie that are alluding to certain things. You know, I, I, it's like one of those, when, the, when they're guy, when they're leaving her in, she's, she's having the baby in the opening scene. They're setting up, she's going in a gurney, she's screaming, she's got the labor pains. And all of a sudden they take her into what looks like this sort of makeshift temple with candles yeah. and, and everything. And there's all these people around and you're just like, what is going on here? I mean, <laughs> you know, and then <sighs> something happens later on while this whole cult is going on. Michael just sort of comes in and does what Michael does best that has you wondering, what was that all about? Mm-hmm. Like where, where the, um, I was watching this with my youngest son, actually. And he was sort of asking me what's going on here. And I said, well, he might be like under their control. And then he just starts going crazy. And he's like, I thought he was under their control. And I'm like, no, um, well, maybe not. And my, my youngest son just goes, this is kind of stupid. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, you know what? It, it, it's really just going <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, it, and, and it's almost like they're, they're just thinking, no, let's have this happen now. You know, it almost like, like they're, they threw the script away to just sort of <laughs> come up with, uh, with different scenes and different things to throw in there. I mean, there's all of these jarring cuts, all these jarring flashbacks. I mean, um, yeah, that I really disliked that Strode family living in the house. <laughs> yeah. You know, not so much Kim Darby. I, I, I'm a Kim Darby fan. She's been in some decent movies. Even uh, the, was that one made for TV movie she made in the seventies, the horror one uh, that was just recently remade with Guy Pierce. Oh boy. Um, don't, uh, the, don't, don't be, be afraid, afraid of the dark. dark. Don't yeah. be afraid of the dark. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which was excellent. So I don't dislike her. The, the, the guy, the, the father or the or husband, way over the top. I mean, he, he, had a, he should have just been wearing a neon sign saying, I'll die soon, don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because he was so despicable. He was, yes. You know, so <sighs> the Halloween series has been, has been sort of one of the things that it always got right was, was the whole sort of Michael Myers, at least to, to a degree, the, the Michael Myers, Michael Myers's role in it, in this world, mm-hmm. this movie didn't know what to do with him, you know? Yeah. It's got all this other stuff going on. He's just wandering around. Well, here's the weird thing. And I, I would love it if you guys could try to <laughs> psychoanalyze me or explain this, even though I, I can't explain it, even though all this stuff is jacked up in this film, it doesn't make sense and stuff. I still kind of like it, to be honest. You just like it because it's set in Salt Lake City. Well, I I don't know. Like <laughs> honestly, like there are some things about it that I I really like. For example, um, and the, these are little things, but I, I love the festivities and especially the shock jock Barry Sims. I mean, I, I like that stuff right there. I on one hand, I kind of like that they're starting to 
well, they've been doing it for the past few movies, but they sensationalize um, Michael Myers and stuff. And then there are so many homages or like little nods to other classic horror movies or thrillers. Like, for example, um, there there's a definite unmistakable homages to like Rear Window because you can kind of see um, a kill from a neighboring window. And then Psycho, they have a shower scene, which isn't exactly like you're expecting. And then there's a, um, um, you know, a head in a washing machine, whereas it was in a, a dryer in My Bloody Valentine. And then in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know how she leaps out the window through the window. You got that in this. And then you did I was thinking the same thing when that happened? Yeah, and then the exact I, same thing. And I believe that all this stuff was intentional. And then um, at one point, Kara is locked up, and Tommy's trying to get to her and free her as Michael Myers is approaching, and she's in room two three seven, which is the same room as The Shining. So I mean, there are little touches like that, and I'm like, well, I mean, some horror nods there. I think's cool, and I also like the colors of this film. It's so weird to discuss the color palette because I can never go much farther than this in terms of like <laughs> a critique. But all I got to say is there are lots of oranges and blues in this movie, and um, I don't know. It's kind of a, a joy to my eyes. It's pleasant. I mean, it's nice to have all those really warm autumn colors and the bonfires and the golden leaves. And then you've got Tommy's jacket. It's kind of like this like turquoise, dark, you know, green with the dark red. It's really nice color combinations, mm-hmm. which again sounds kind of maybe fruity on this horror podcast, but <laughs> I think it's I, I mean, I you know, it is very inviting and it does invoke autumn and all the, you know, and I and I agree with you. If this wasn't a Michael Myers movie, that's I guess that's my biggest problem with this is all this crazy druid stuff. It's just a million miles away from 1978, you know, and I don't yeah, want to be right. here in this franchise. I just don't want to get to this place in this franchise. <laughs> yeah, it, that's Keep exactly it simple, it. stupid. You know, like I just want exactly. I, just, I want Michael Myers. I want him to be a slasher. I want him to be a you know unstoppable force that has one goal. That's it. And I don't need all this other stuff. And I like all this other stuff. Like you said, like I wouldn't mind a movie that's all about Sam Hain and Thorne and Druids and and you know the Halloween season and all this other stuff that's going on. Yeah, that shock jock character is great. I can see Sam Rockwell really playing the hell out of the character like that, you know. <laughs> but you know, yeah. and I and I like I said, I love the cast. Um, you know, for the mo- most part, or at least those two leads, Marianne Hagen and Paul Rudd. So there's there are things to like about this movie, but as an entry in the Halloween franchise, it's pretty abysmal, I think. Well, okay, I just have one thing to say about that. Um, I see. I think, and I don't want to cut to the other movies because that's one of these <laughs> rules. <laughs> but like with Halloween three, I said, you know, I thought that was a bad horror film on its own. You know, take it away from the franchise. Whereas this, this, if it's not associated with Halloween. I think it's like a rough around the edges 80s horror type of flick, slasher flick for me. And I think maybe that's why I like it. Made in 1995. Yeah, 1995. Yeah. But I'm saying it's it's 80s-esque to me. I don't know. Yeah. Do you think so? I think I think they I don't think the 80s ever got quite this complex. That's true. That's a good point too. Well, rough with, around with the edges. Stories. Well, the the rough around the edges. This is like this is just sandpaper around the edges. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, this is like the white it's clips of Dover movie. around the edges or something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's it's 
it's definitely as rough as you can get. And uh, but the, the bottom line is you you have you do have it's at certain points in this movie. Um, now there are some things about I like too. Like there's a scene where um, uh, they they sort of a nod back to the original where. A kid looks out the window, and there's Michael Myers looking back at him from the street. Mm-hmm. All right, I thought that wow, that's a really cool shot there, you know. Um, and and that's really what Michael does. Yes, I mean there's there's a and then there's a, I mean, but any other time Michael's not going to stop. You know, he's just going to keep going. There's a sequence later in the film where people they're redoing the whole thing from the first halloween of pounding on a door let me in let me in and michael's walking slowly across the street to get him he just doesn't run he's walking slowly and the door opens and they're in and then no michael he just disappears he's he rarely in this movie i mean i get like that's the other thing like he's not just not in the movie too much he's maybe you know, what, what do you think he has in screen time in this one 10 minutes not you're right not mm. not much at all maybe maybe 15 at the most i don't but that's pushing it i think it's i mean he doesn't really show up in full force until the last 10 minutes of the movie i mean he's got right. a couple scenes here and there mm-hmm. but the whole middle of the movie he's basically nowhere to be seen right yeah that's a problem it's almost like he was he was made not a servant, but uh, a subservient type uh, of uh, a minor character in this movie to this other yes. group. And Michael Myers is not somebody you can control. See, I'm so glad you brought that up because I think the most egregious thing this film does next to Loomis's death or along with it <laughs> is that its treatment of how it neuters Michael Myers and really takes away everything about him that was scary. I mean... I I said earlier, well, first of all, what you said, the fact that they could try to um, protect Michael or try to control him, as they say in the script here, that's um, ridiculous, first of all. Uh And and then when that woman caller, that woman calls into the radio station and says she wants to hook up with Michael Myers, I'm like, come on, you guys. So now we're going to have characters who aren't afraid of this force of evil, this juggernaut like that's that's dumb idea and then if he is working in this alliance and allegiance to this win guy then he kind of becomes he's relegated to like frankenstein's monster somebody like that that's kind of just mindless and and i don't know that bugs me too and then the whole as i referred to earlier with the thorn thing trying to explain away his immortality um or, or why he can't be killed and then they're always trying to like psychoanalyze his anger issues and that's why he kills. And then sometimes you can see him speed up his pace in this movie where he'll trot and that bugs me. And then this is a really small nitpick, but um, <laughs> the hair on his mask sticks out so far and is so long, he looks like a nappy-headed Muppet sometimes. And that bothers me. So those are my critiques of him. I I do think they did <laughs> one thing right with him in this movie and and that I loved. It's actually one of my favorite instances. Uh, you really get the sense of his strength and his juggernaut status and I think you get it through his hands. They show a lot of good imagery of his burned hands and when they show him he's always like doing these feats of strength with it and and I got when I watch it I'm like if he grabbed my ankle right there, 
he could probably like break the bones because you can hear her bones crunching and stuff when he grabs her ankle and it's like wow he's really strong like freakishly strong and so i thought that was effective well yeah i i think that I don't know. They've sort of established that to a degree in some of the other movies too. I mean, he's been he's been shot six times and gotten up and walked away. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is this is a guy who is not he's not human. <laughs> you know, this is this is a this is a guy who's who's beyond that. He's gone beyond just being a, a regular human being, and is now the the evil in him has has given him these these special abilities or you know whatever you'd like to call them. I'm not trying to say he's uh, this is like an origin story or something for a superhero, but you know that's what it is. That this evil has has, has affected him um, to the degree that he is almost invulnerable. Mm. You know, um, so but I mean it, it does continue in this movie, and it's not like that the some of the um, uh, the kill scenes are still you know. Pretty pretty impressive. I mean, I I liked a few of the kill scenes in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, now, one thing I did sort of question, and this is just because I was, you know, again, when you're watching a movie, and if it's if it doesn't pull you in, you tend to see these sort of things that he uh, commits a murder at a house. Then the next thing you know, he's hiding in a van, and then before you know it, before you can even figure out what's happened, he's back at the house again. <laughs> yeah. And now that I'm knowing that the thing, you know, it's been sort of chopped up. I'm wondering uh, how much of that, because not only did he find time to commit this murder in a van, but he found time to sort of stash the body in a very uh, interesting way, mm-hmm. and still make it back to the house in time, um, you know, to 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 carry out uh, some more carnage. <laughs> So, it, it, it it was like it just went boom boom boom. It's like yes, we understand he's everywhere, but the other movies at least there was some semblance of reality. Yeah, that yes, he could have gotten there. It's a good point. So two of your complaints I want to address, Jason. Okay. I think the mask is not great here, but it is the best of the last three. At least it's getting closer to getting back to the original at this point. I mean, I I do like the Halloween Five mask just for its originality, but. This is the closest we've gotten to the original in a while. So it's it's starting to look like it's Michael Myers in the movie instead of some other yeah. person that we don't recognize. <laughs> yeah. um, the other thing is, is that I've been thinking about that shock jock comment you made about someone calling in and wanting to get it on with Michael. I think that actually signals that this is a 90s movie. You know, I think that mm-hmm. I think that's something that we're going to see. And again, not to get too much into the other movies. But there's a real change in tone from here on out, and this I think that might be the beginning of it, um, of the you know this kind of '90s vibe that is, you know, apparent in some of the upcoming movies. Um, that's that's a real change in tone from you know, like, especially the '70s, but even the '80s. Do you um, like that change version though? of this character? Because I very disapprove. 90s. I don't know. I don't know if I like it or not. I I, I do in one movie. <laughs> Right, but I, but I, you know, that irreverence and that kind of postmodern approach, you know, to these characters that we've known for a couple decades now, it it makes sense actually in the context of the '90s, and you know, I don't, I don't love it, but, um, but I get it kind of in in the place that it, you know, in the time that it was created, mm-hmm. and then maybe it's it probably seemed really appropriate at this point, you know, this is the same year, you know, we get Pulp Fiction. 
comes out this year, you know. Yeah. Right? And we're we're a few years away from Scream and And you know it's 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 interesting. And I, I I just looked this up and I knew that I had heard the name before and I don't know what the last name is, but you know, this Barry Sims, the 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 radio host. Mm-hmm. In the movie Talk Radio, the Oliver Stone movie, the main character played by, uh, was it Bogosian? His name is Barry. And for some reason, I, I think the last name was along the lines of Sims. I don't know that it was Sims exactly, but that was his character as well. And he was the shock radio personality. Oh, interesting. And I'm thinking it might have been, now I don't know if it was Barry Sims or not, but um, I knew that his first name was Barry. Uh, so that was, uh, I don't know. I just thought that was kind of, I, that might've been a little nod in that direction. Mm-hmm. And that's not a horror movie, obviously, but yeah, it, is, it, it does have some elements of, of, uh, like being a thriller. Well, I had read that, um, Howard Stern was approached to play that role and he turned it down. Is that, is that what you guys have heard? Is that um, true? I didn't hear, I, I can't uh, say I heard that about this movie. I know he was approached to play a role in RoboCop that he turned down and then regretted it. <laughs> He looked at the script, thought it was stupid, and then he saw the movie and really liked it. So. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I, I think I read it in the IMDb trivia for this particular film. I know there were several local Salt Lake City DJs that were present in that scene. They had brought them in for kind of like, I don't know what exactly, like, uh, you know, to oversee the technical directors or whatever. And they, they're all extras in the, in the scene. Um but, you know, for people who live in the Salt Lake City area, you'd recognize, like, the morning hosts of several radio shows are kind of in that scene. That's funny. Okay, here's this, and I don't know why it really comes to light to me in this film, but I think it's the other Michael Myers complaints that I had. I, I think that's why it, it's kind of weird if you think about it. It must be kind of an easy gig to be Michael Myers because... Essentially, you get, what, 364 days off per year. So, like, you, what does he do during yeah, It's the usually, day? like, 362. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's usually trying to find cars and stuff the day before. Yeah, yeah he gets warmed up. He, he realizes it's, realize it's time to get busy. Right, but I'm, uh, I'm just, like, like... Two days before. But in terms of, like, a character, I mean, if you're looking at a character, it's like, okay, that's kind of weird, right? I mean, it's like... I don't. I don't know. I had to walk all the way from Pasadena to Salt Lake City. That's a <laughs> long walk. No, that's true. That probably took up. A, that took up some time anyway. And, and another part. This is a very cynical, you know, dark humored part of me. But it's like, what if um, the people of Haddonfield just gave up the whole Strode Lloyd Myers family? You know, all his targets, and just let him wipe them all out. Then would he just stop bar- bothering the town? Would well, that? Would that be the end? Be- yeah, that's what they should be doing. It's just put them in a corral every Halloween. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And, and, you know, like a sacrifice, you know, offer them up. But I don't know. I think that's weird. Okay. So how about this, you guys? Here's what I want to know. With this editing, can we just talk about that for a second? So, Josh, you don't think that this was, if you had to speculate, what do you think happened in the editing room, like put us there because you've edited films before. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's necessarily the editing per se. I think what you have is a situation where they're like, we're going to get rid of 40 minutes out of this movie. And then we're going to go reshoot a bunch of random stuff. And then you, the editors have to figure out how to stick that back into the movie as it exists. 
by the way, one of our main characters is dead. So yeah. figure out what to do there. I mean, it's a pretty challenging task, um, you know, and I don't think that that's just like, it's not, you're not finding yourself uh, with the same challenges, you know, that an editor might face where they're just making rookie mistakes or something there, you know, there it's a, it's really a function of the, you know, lack of a screenplay and the, the producers who are getting way too involved and all these other problems you know maybe there's uh, there's some editing issues but by and large a lot of the technical aspects of this movie are pretty strong um actually hmm. you know it wasn't I think it, shot poorly i thought the sh- yeah, i it thought it was, nice. it was yeah. yeah i like the look of it too but th- there's one scene in particular let me just describe this i'll set this up for the listeners right. so, so do you <laughs> do you remember when okay so they all meet in that house and they discover that it's when he's the man in black dr win and stuff and and then it's like it basically cuts from from there and then we have um loomis and and um tommy i think standing outside and and tommy says something like i feel like i've been drugged and then loomis says we have been drugged yeah that was that was very clunky <laughs> i'm like that, that wow thrown in there like you know no no we don't even get to see them drugged we don't get to see anything <laughs> like it 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 goes from but that's not bad it, editing well, that again that's a function of well trying to cobble something together from yeah well wait a second that don't make sense that feels in the film like listeners when you revisit this watch for that it feels like somebody accidentally hit the skip forward button on a couple scenes. I mean, almost, it feels almost like, you, like the scene that, what was it? The scene in, um, uh, oh, the, in the, um, in the grind house. What was the first one? Planet terror, the scene, the, uh, footage missing. Mm. And all of a sudden you come back <laughs> yeah. in the buildings and, and, and engulfed in flames. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, it's hilarious. Okay. It's, it's what it, it feels like. I mean, they could have said anything. It's like, I feel like we've just been uh, on a on a bus trip to Pittsburgh and back. We have just been, you know, like they could have thrown. It didn't make any sense. Just like, I feel we've been drugged. We have been, but now we're standing here and deciding to talk about it. Now we've walked out of the building, gotten into the lawn here, and this is where we're going to discuss it. It was very strange. So you know, a lot of people will say editing is the final chance at directing, or it's the final version of the screenplay, and I think that's true. But you have to understand, like by and large. You know, films are edited based on number one, the story that the screenplay tells. So they're actually going through and cutting the story just as it appears in the screenplay. Mm-hmm. And then number two, based on the director's notes. So they'll be like, take number one was good, take number two is good, use this shot, not that shot. And and like that's not a mistake. I mean, it may feel like a mistake. And you know, maybe the move would have been just leave that scene out altogether. But that's you know that's just a I, I stand by that that's that's a product of having a terrible uh, bunch of footage that you have to figure out how to make into something that looks like a movie. Well, well, just from a a film critic perspective, I think what what the result is. I mean, obviously, okay, whether it's the editing or the the script rewrites or the the act, like all that stuff you just mentioned, I think you're right. I, I really do. But what ends up being the result is the way it feels to the viewer is you hop from scene to scene and the characters appear to be just standing around in scenes. And this movie feels like that life is not happening in all the other places in Haddonfield, like all around the other 
locations. It's just happening in this scene. And you really get a sense, at least for me, when I watch this, it's like, I'm watching a film right now and these actors are standing there. The other actors are over getting coffee and craft services or whatever. And we're shooting this one scene and it feels like nothing is happening anywhere else in this world within the movie. I, I can see what you're, yeah, I, I know what you're saying. It's it's almost like this is just, you feel the process is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. You, you feel the process and, they had one like there, there was one setup in this that I always thought was cool that just sort of went nowhere when with the little girl saying it's raining mm-hmm. and you know the, the it's blood dripping down on her yeah and she's talking about how warm it is well what happens okay a body comes crashing out of a tree all you see is someone grab this girl and run off you don't get to see like any realization in her face or anything like that it's <laughs> it, it's like that this movie is just sort of. Good ideas that they just never finished or or not even good ideas. I don't even know if that's right, but just scenes that look as if they're going one going somewhere that just don't. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, you know and, the, the editor shows a lot proficiency is all I will say. Like, I mean, the, there are moments, you know, I mean, like shot like scenes play out shot reaction shot you know like they hear something down the hallway mm-hmm. the way they're cutting from shot to shot it it works and so oh, yeah something like that you have to think or at least i think as i watch that oh well whoever you know the director did not get the reaction shot or they didn't get the shot of you know the body falling the right way true. to make I- that impact you know work it's not like an editor is going to be like i had all those shots but i just decided not to include them <laughs> right exactly <laughs> you know because because, you know, editors, I agree. I agree with you. I think that that has a lot to do with the guy just maybe maybe wasn't experienced enough to pick up, like you said, pick up those shots. And, and by the way, the editor of this is Randy Bricker, and he did The Arrival, Hellraiser Bloodline, Phantoms, Bride of Chucky, um, Texas Chainsaw 3D, and No Good Deed. So um, these are all films he's done, and, you know, I think he did a passable job. So, Josh, I think just looking at his other work, I think we could judge that probably what you're saying is 100% accurate. This guy was just, he had nothing to work with. Yeah, there are scenes actually where Michael looks like Chucky a couple times. And now that <laughs> now that you now hearing you say that, like there are a couple, you know, there are a couple times when he's walking down a hallway, like that looks like Chucky's head on, on stick. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, one other editing question, and it's not a critique of the editing necessarily, but there, there's a scene at the very end when, you know, they're battling Michael and um, he gets all that stuff injected into him. <laughs> and there are some fast cuts and like there's like this slime on his mask. What is that? Every time I've seen this, I, I have no idea what's going on in that. Like what what am I supposed to interpret from from that scene. I mean, it's, it's cut pretty quickly. Do you guys get it? Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like this greenish yellowish slime on his mask. It seemed like there was a really bad special effect that didn't play out very well. So they tried to make it look like it worked. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, okay, well, what was that supposed to be there? What's going on? Cause I don't even understand what the action is that they're trying to, you know, suggest, but uh, another, this is, this is where I, I would argue that this movie is not totally incompetent. Beth's boyfriend, which, by the way, I was really fond of Beth, I have to say. Um, 
he he goes into the shower or whatever and he comes out and Michael gets him and um gets his neck you know in the mirror and we see the mirror shot and um slices him and the guy's arm is kind of up in the air and so if you watch carefully you can see that you know that blade is so long that he also slices the back of this guy's tricep you know the back of his arm and I'm like, oh, that's super cool. So either that blade, you know, may, maybe it was serendipitous. Maybe that blade just had like, you know, blood on it, you know, fake blood. And it rubbed on his arm. Or maybe, maybe they actually did that on purpose. But either way, it gives a, a reality to that shot. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? I I can't say I caught that, to be I honest with really you. But what you're talking yeah, about. I'll have to go back and, and check it out. I mean, the only thing I when you were talking about the scene in the shower was um, the fact that Michael brought him a towel. <laughs> you know, I don't know if that's something that Michael Myers would have done. Michael Myers is more of a killer. I don't know that he'd say, I'll let you dry off first. Well, he, he, he does kind of have a sense of humor. Even in the first film, there's the ghost thing with the glasses. Well, that's true. He that's does. True. He does quirky things sometimes. That's true. That's true. So maybe he just wanted this guy to be dry, you know, <laughs> before okay <laughs> so michael michael myers has dry humor i guess so um now here here's a little question for you guys because you're the experts um we see there's a scene like later when they're like in this uh in the sanitarium you know the place where michael wants to play his game and sam Loomis knows where it is anyway they're there and uh you get this scary, creepy gal with really bad teeth and a bloody abdomen or stomach area. <laughs> yep. And she says some some crazy things, but it's like, uh, who is this person and why is she in this movie? Uh, do you know what she was about? Like, what, sure. what was her I, purpose? I have no clue. <laughs> I honestly, I can't answer that one. I'll tell you something I hate. They've been in the same city. They've been shooting this these movies in the same city for the last three installments. Can't they just like use some of the same locations? Even film the film. Like it just bugs me that there's just no continuity whatsoever. <laughs> That's true. That's true. It's always the same different. sanitarium. It's always You're in the different. same town. <laughs> That's a good point. It's 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 a completely different. We're supposed to believe it's the same. And yeah, exactly. Well, Haddonfield. <laughs> The small town of Haddonfield is obviously very big. <laughs> yeah, right with sanitariums. And yes, exactly. They have they have at least two or three sanitariums. Oh. Um, so it's, I don't know that that makes it one of the better places to live. But yes, now can can we talk about the death of Doctor Sam Loomis here? Are uh, you sure he's dead? <laughs> well, for all we know here in this film, um, let's talk about this. How mm -hmm. how did you guys feel about that? Because he says, in the end, you know, he stays behind and he says he's going to attend to, quote, a little business. Mm -hmm. And then um, we see the room that Michael Myers was in and his mask is lying on the floor next to a syringe. And then we hear, presumably, and it does sound kind of like him, Sam Loomis in the background screaming and we assume that he's being killed. And... And that's that. And it's off screen. It's very fast. It's very short. And then the end. Honestly, the first thing that I thought of with that scene is, oh, I guess Donald Pleasance wasn't there to, to shoot this scene. Yeah, clearly. 
Yeah. You know, and that's the that's all that I really thought about with that. It's not is is it yes, it's it's when you consider how important that character has been to the series. I mean, other than the character of Michael Myers, Dr. Loomis is really the only other continuity yeah. that they had with, with all of the other films. And, and he's the only one that was played by the same actor, Yeah, you know, in, in, in all of the movies. And uh, to, to have him meet such an end was kind of, yeah, it's, it's a little bit, it's cheap. Mm-hmm. It's, it's definitely cheap, but... Is Dr. I don't Loomis think- an immortal, right? So in the... Yeah. In the 666 version, he's supposed to start carrying the thorn or something or other. Um, well, you know, he doesn't have his burns on his face anymore from the last picture. Right. Yeah. I don't, know if, I don't know if that's just a continuity error. Yes. Or if it's meant to be mean something that he doesn't have those burns. I think it's total continuity blunder. On Is that. it that? Yeah. How, do they, how do you make a blunder that big? Our character, our main character was scarred. I know, but they are clearly not paying attention. Well, here's the thing. When a film opens like this, with this kind of, uh, I mean, you are at sea. I mean, you are totally lost and you have no idea going from five to six. I mean, that's insane. So, you know, would you put it past them for just spacing on that? I wouldn't. Personally, but yeah, I mean, there was definitely Donald Pleasance would remember. Yeah, yeah, that's true. true. That's... But even but like like as you've discussed, uh, even with the with the mask, there's no continuity. Yeah, yeah. With, Some of the with... easiest, two of the easiest things ever. I mean, what what could be easier than just using the same white mask? I don't get like that's one of the things. <laughs> right. that even if it wasn't stuff. available, there has to be some way to recreate it quickly. Yeah. <laughs> I know. know? Okay. Well, this is Hollywood and. Sometimes it's hard to generate things that look like other things. Right. <laughs> so this was uh, this film was dedicated in memory of Donald Pleasance, and he he died in real life on February second, nineteen ninety five. I read right. from co- complications from a heart valve replacement surgery. Wow. So the movie sad. was shot in October, which is another sorry to move away from Pleasance, but what a nice thing to actually shoot during the fall for once. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Exactly. I think that actually adds to the film. It did. Cause you did, you definitely got the feeling of fall this time around, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it was, it was sort of unmistakable in a way. Yeah. I'd agree with that. Um, I, I heard, let's see, I heard an interview with him or, or Reddit or something where he, he was talking about doing so many of these films and he said, something to the effect he's like well i got five daughters and they're expensive so um what (laughs) what wolfman josh said in a previous episode was exactly right like he was just he was wanting the money yeah well and that's this was probably where he was uh he was getting i'm sure quite a bit from it i think it was his daughter who convinced him to take the role if I'm not under, if I, I seem oh, to recall yeah. reading some about that from a while back because they were fans of Carp of John Carpenter's. Is it Assault on Precinct Thirteen? It might have been Assault on Precinct Thirteen that mm-hmm. one of his daughters was a fan of that. So when he received the offer to appear in Halloween, the daughter's like, "Oh yeah, do that! I really liked his movie. You know, I really like this other movie that he made." Yeah, uh, and that's what can what's that was the reason he took the role in the first place. Yeah. Exactly. So, 
we talked a little bit about the alternate versions of this. We talked about the producer's cut. And so I have not seen that. Wolfman has not seen it. Have you seen the producer's cut, the bootleg version of that, Doc? No, I have not. Okay. Well, yeah. So we're recording this episode right now in September still. And so we do not have that that grand collection. <laughs> Does anybody have it? on a coming has anybody ordered it i mean i don't i'm not going to be getting it no i i haven't ordered it myself i i've had some complications with the with my dvd purchasing with the halloween franchise so i'm gonna wait and see exactly what it is before i make any purchases well i i do know i have um seen that definitively though this producer's cut that people make a big deal about here is in this new collection. But at so, the time of this recording, it hasn't been released yet. So I'm, you know, they've promised it before. That's the thing. It's been promised that it was coming mm. uh, from the Weinsteins. And so I don't know. Let's just, I'm just going to wait and see. Okay. Well, I wasn't aware that they had broken those promises. But now that you mention Weinsteins, it all makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> okay. One last thing before we wrap this up, if you don't mind, Josh. And this is for the listeners who, um, maybe aren't as familiar with the the filmmaking industry. I mean, we talked about this at the beginning a good bit, but I, I just want to see if you could help me convey this. I, I think that when we watch a movie, especially when we're reviewing a movie, it, it's so easy to be dismissive and critical as um, I often am. But <laughs> the thing is, each time a film is actually completed it's kind of a small miracle. And then when a film is actually great, then that's like a tenfold miracle and it's tremendous. And so um, there are so many aspects about filmmaking that can go wrong. And I bet Josh can attest to this, but like, you know, we've talked about documentaries before where like uh, Lost in La Mancha, which is not a horror film documentary, but about movies that we're going to be made and weren't quite made because they ran into disaster. And so I just wonder if you had any comments on that Wolfman. Well, I mean, it's not, it's not totally uncommon. And you know, the Weinsteins, I don't want to trash them too much because I feel like they do um, help out the franchise in the next little while. But Mm -hmm. you know, they, especially around this time, you know, Harvey had been nicknamed Harvey Scissorhands. (laughs) Um, because just of this type of thing, he would come in and make the filmmakers completely recut their movies, re completely redo things. You know, there's a famous story of him trying to fire Guillermo del Toro from mimic and, you know, reshooting a whole bunch of footage for that film. Um, right around the same time, there were a lot, he, this was an era, um, where dimension, this offshoot of Miramax was getting into horror and, you know, Scream being their first big hit. But, um, you know, they were really toying around with it at this point, trying to figure out their formula. Bob eventually took over um, Dimension as kind of his project. But, you know, there was a definitely a time in here where they were ruining a lot of movies <laughs> and uh, taking films away from really talented filmmakers. Um you know, they were at the same time supporting guys like Tarantino and Rodriguez and, and Kevin Smith, but there were just as many guys like, you know, Guillermo del Toro, and they would later screw over Martin Scorsese. And, you know, 
some really great right. filmmakers that they were also not supporting. So, mm. yeah, I think that, I think this film is a product of a lot of fear that this new purchase they'd made of this new of this big franchise, you know, was going to be a failure. And there'd been who knows fifteen versions of the screenplay already at this point. And mm. um, you know, this was what they were hoping would launch this new franchise that they'd taken over. And they didn't like Marianne Hagen as their lead girl. Uh, they had you know they had a problem with her. And, you know, there were just a lot of a lot of things going against this movie. And, uh, you know, not the least of which was the convoluted story that I think that it started out with. So. <laughs> well, thank you. See, and that's that's really kind of my point is that I think it's kind of a miracle that we ended up getting this film. And I'm glad. I mean, it's kind of like a little oddity that way. It's <laughs> it's a weird movie and not the same way that like Halloween three is weird. This is like a weird, bad movie, but I kind of like it and it's kind of entertaining still. And so, I mean, I know a lot of people dog on this movie, but listeners, if you haven't seen this movie, I think you should check out Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers. I bet everybody has, but I I just like to kind of put that out there because the other thing is producers, maybe people don't realize this too, but you know, when you make a bad move, as a producer, and if you lose a lot of money, if you have a bomb, it's not like you get a slap on the hand or something like that. A lot of times, that's it. You're done in the business and you're washed up. Like that's the end of your job. And so that's a lot of the fear, like, like that Wolfman was talking about. I mean, these people get really stressed out, and there's a lot riding on it. And I'm not making excuses for them, but I'm just saying that's that's the reason these films get jacked up so bad because people are so afraid and you get so many cooks in the kitchen and um, yeah. it just ruins it. Somebody's going to lose their job if it's a flop, for sure, if not many people. But, yeah. you know, this movie actually wasn't a flop. It was one of the more successful films in the Halloween franchise in terms of um, opening weekend. You know, it apparently beat out um, Halloween 2. was the first film since Halloween 2 to to get as high as it did. Um and it was going up against seven in its week of release, which was a huge hit. So mm-hmm. it, it did okay. Its budget was around five million, and it made over seven million its first weekend. So not a not an overwhelming blowout success, but you know more than made its money back on opening weekend. And that's you know that's that's a successful film in the business. So yeah, absolutely. All right, but the critics hated it. It was completely destroyed. Right. Um, like well, yeah. There was no- <laughs> it's an easy target that way for a critic i think but i don't care i kind of like it still so let's go into our final thoughts and ratings i'm just gonna come in i'm gonna tell you right now for me this is a 5.5 out of 10 and i, I you know it's it's a rental it's a kind of a lower priority <laughs> rental but i I, st- I still dig this film and um you know I'll still revisit this film from time to time. So 5.5 low priority rental. What do you say, Doc? Um, I'm not going to be. Wow. You know, and I, I kind of have gone back and forth on this one. I, I'm going to go 4.5. I think it's a little below average. It's not terrible. It has moments, but on the whole, it just it just goes in so many different directions and some of them are completely ludicrous uh and it does and it does betray i think it betrays the character of michael myers several times mm-hmm. yeah 
throughout the movie. That's true. You know, it's 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 a Michael Myers. It's it's a Michael Myers movie made by people who who didn't completely understand what it was about Michael Myers that, like you were saying, Jay, that that made him effective. Nice. It, it betrays you know? the first two films. It betrays films four and five as well. <laughs> yeah, it really I mean. it really does. It really does. I mean, that's another character you could talk about, sort of meeting and <laughs> an ignominious end was uh, was uh, you know the, the the girl. And why? You know, I mean, you've got all these characters that I don't know why they keep killing off these girls in the first you know ten minutes of the movie. They've got good characters. <laughs> how, yeah. How about this? With all this betrayal going on, how about this for a title? Halloween Six, Benedict Arnold. <laughs> Yeah, betrayal right. of Michael Myers. <laughs> yeah, the betrayal, be- of, the betrayal oh, of Michael Myers. That's really good. Oh, I'm so <laughs> jealous that you came up with that. That's 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 what we should call that this movie from now on. Yeah, and, that's, and I don't know how much of that. I don't know how much of this could have been fixed by this, you know, alternate version. The one that always gets me is just the end scene, and like I guess we are spoiling this, like we said, but the end towards the end of the movie. When they're in there performing this operation, it's so funny because the guy walks by and says, so you could take those off now. Halloween's over. The guys are still sort of wearing their cult costumes, <laughs> you know, the, the black. And then he goes in and he wears this 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 red <laughs> operating gown with a red hat and everything. Yes. Um, but awesome. that aside, they're in there. They're doing this. All of a sudden, Michael just grabs what it was in a machete. Mm-hmm. What was that? I'm not sure if that's when he grabbed the machete or when he grabbed the machete, but whatever. Walks in there and starts doing what he does best on all these people, all these in the operating room. <laughs> and you're just like, why? What? What is this? What? What is going on here? Why did? <laughs> why did he allow them to do what they were going to do for so long and let lead them to believe he was with them? And then all of a sudden, at this moment, when when they're finally going to get to the point of what he supposedly wants from them, and and they've all reached an agreement as this is the best course of action, why is he now going to turn on them? Mm-hmm. It, it just it was just there was this movie leaves you scratching your head. As an apologist, I always kind of just interpreted that as well. He's a he's a loose cannon. He's a rabbit. Yes, I understand. He's a that. rabid dog. I understand that, but he went along with them to a degree before this. I know, but I mean, he was walking through this place. And okay, every now and again, when they wanted to kill someone who betrayed him, they left loose Michael. Um, you know, there's a scene where Paul Rudd is trying to break down a door. The girls on the other side, and Michael just walks out and looks around. Where the hell was he? <laughs> I mean, aren't those like the the rooms where uh, what was he doing? Just hanging out in one of them. The vending machines. Oh, maybe, maybe that was maybe he was grabbing a snack. <laughs> but in that respect, that one scene in particular, it's like Michael Myers said, they've somehow got him to go along with all this, and then the last minute he says, "Eh, you know what? Screw this." Yeah, exactly. And just, and just grabs a machete and goes to goes to town and starts killing everybody. But you're glad he does, right? I mean, I- I'm not saying I'm not saying that wasn't the right move for Michael Myers to make. Mm-hmm. I think that was definitely that is Michael Myers doing what he does best. Yes. But why did they make it as far as they did? Hmm. They've been hanging around him the whole movie, or he's been sort of part of this grand scheme that they had that they're ready to hatch. Why did he go along with it to any degree that, to, to let them get to that point? Yeah, sure. I'm with you. But so anyway, 4.5. I have a hard time telling anybody to avoid any of the Halloween movies just because it does, <laughs> you know, it, it's a series. You know, um, it's two or three different series. 
that's the sort of stop and start, but it's a series. Mm-hmm. And I think that, yes, I think this is a movie you should probably rent. Low priority, yes, it is. Because once we get around to the next group of movies, um, it, it's sort of picking something else up, you know, in, in a different direction. Okay. So if you don't get to six right away, like, you know, you know, a lot of times you want to sit down, you watch movies like we were talking about Halloween, Halloween 2, boom, perfect one-two punch there. Mm-hmm. Just because of they all take place at the same time and they, they flow really well together. Uh, I don't know that you need to sit there and do a one, two, four, five, six. No, no, no. No, I don't think that that's necessary. You know, I think six is one you could maybe just get around to at some point. Okay. So he says 4.5 out of 10, low priority rental. Yes. And uh, I, it's hilarious. I, it cracks me up, Doc, when you're exasperated by a movie. I just love that. Um, well, it, yeah, and this one did, and at the times did do it. Yes. <laughs> what do you say, Wolfman? I mean, I think what Marianne Hagen brings, what Paul Rudd brings, the you know the setting, the fall, the the colors, the cinematography, all of that could add up to maybe like a six in my mind. But if you have to factor in Thorn, if you're honest about just the huge mess of a movie that this is. Um, <laughs> Then, you know, this drops down to like a three for me at least. Um, and it's an avoid. A three? I mean, avoid. listen, you're going to watch it. Okay. A low priority rental at 3.5. How about that? Okay. <laughs> but I like a very low priority rental. Okay. <laughs> like, get it in your, get it when you, uh, when you buy the rest of the uh, Halloween series Blu ray. <laughs> if you're going to buy that, right. then watch it. That's so basically what I'm saying is if you already own it by no fault of your own, then watch it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, if, you, if you're a completist, you got the whole series, you're going to have to pop it in at some point and, and, and check it out. Um, so yeah, that, that was, know. that would be where I would go with it. As I'm well. as conflicted on this movie as the movie is on itself. I guess. Wow. <laughs> and that's saying something. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys for your reviews there. And um, but before we wrap up the show, I just want to hear if you, you know what kind of plugs you have or anything like that. What do you want to tell them, Doc? Well, you know, to the, the, the standards, um, check out dvdinfatuation.com. I'm up over fifteen hundred now, and I'm now down to three digits left to go as far as uh, to get to the end of the challenge. And that's dvdinfatuation.com. Come over to Twitter at dvdinfatuation. And uh, in the coming months, I am going to be, this is something I haven't really gone into with anybody yet, uh, meaning you, Jay, or you, Josh, but I'm going to be putting out um, some eBooks based on um, some of my reviews and I'll throw maybe some different ones in there on, on certain themes. Nice. You know, I'm going to, and one of the ones I'm looking at doing is a list of like what I would do is maybe the top 30 horror movies of the new millennium. You know, I had that list that I had put out on the blog here. Mm-hmm. So obviously... The majority of it is not going to be much of a surprise, but that's one of the things that I'm looking at. Just different sort of themes. The big one I'm doing is uh, it's going to be called 51 Cinematic Oddities, you know, uh, where I'm going to just take the strangest movies that I've seen uh, and just put them in a collection. And it's going to be movies like Freaks will be in there, obviously. Mm -hmm. But uh, (laughs) then even something like... Make sure you get Tusk in there. 
<laughs> well, if I, yes, if I see it in time, I will. But something like um, The Baby, about a guy in his 20s who still wears a diaper and his parents, and, it was, and his mother and sisters treat him as if he's still a baby. Yes. And he sits in a crib and so forth. So all of these, that's going to be something else that I'm, I'm working on. But I'm going to be putting out like maybe three to four of them right up front. I am going to be releasing one of them anyway to people. I'm thinking of doing it through the podcast, you know, sort of review copies just for free, Mm -hmm. giving them away to people for free just to try to, you know, to get an honest review. I'm not looking for, you know, because I gave you this, this for free. I want you to praise me to the moon. But no, just an honest review of these because obviously any sort of review on Amazon would be good. You know, it just sort of it sort of helps you there. But I'm trying to put out at least three or four all at once. The, the date is going to be beginning of January when they'll all be available. Pricing will all be along the lines of what most ebooks of these sizes will be. So it's not going to be you know outlandish. I, I still have to look into that as to what the the pricing would be. But it's going to be very reasonable compared to you know the size of the books and uh, what other people are charging for for similar. But that's coming up. That's something I'm going to be working on in the next uh, few months. And like I said, each one I think will have a couple reviews in there that are not on the blog that will just be offered in the um, ebook. That's cool. I'm excited about that, Dave. Well, thanks. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's just something new. I just tried to take it to the next level, so to speak. Now that I'm up to 1,500 reviews, I've got a lot of material that I can go back on. I mean, I could probably come up with, with like a dozen different themes Mm-hmm. Um, and just put them all together and uh, put them out there. So and that's what I'm going to be doing. I'm doing it a little more frequently. That's a great uh, idea, man. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. I'm looking. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to uh, see the reaction from people. It, it should be interesting, and I, I, I want to do that just more regularly. I want to sort of build up a presence with the eBooks and um, and on Amazon. So that's in the next few months. Like I said, beginning of January. January one is sort of the date I'm shooting for of getting some of these out there. Okay, well, we'll look forward to it. Just let us know when you have the links ready and how people can get them, and I'll put it in the show notes. Will so, do. Thank you. All right, and what about you, Wolfman? Where what do you tell people? Follow me on Twitter at Icarus Arts and check out other podcasts I'm involved in. And uh, yeah, that's it. I mean, keep watching horror movies. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Enjoy your Halloween. Yes, absolutely. Okay, well, that just about wraps up episode 28 of Horror Movie Podcast. You can join us again next Friday, October 17th. For part three of our five-part series, when we'll be reviewing Halloween H2O, 20 years later from 1998, and Halloween Resurrection from 2002. And once again, we want to thank our guest for joining us, Ron Martin of The Resurrection of Zombie 7 podcast. We'll have his links there in the show notes here for episode 28. And you can find all our episodes at HorrorMoviePodcast.com and follow us on Twitter at HorrorMovieCast. Wolfman Josh and I have another show about films at MoviePodcastWeekly.com and you can follow Josh on Twitter at IcarusArts. You can find Dr. Shock's awesome movie blog at DVDInfatuation.com where he's reviewing a Halloween movie each day in October. And follow him on Twitter at DVDInfatuation. And you can find Dr. Walking Dead, Kyle Bishop. You can find his book, American Zombie Gothic, on Amazon.com. And you can follow him on Twitter at Dr. Walking Dead, D-R Walking Dead. And we want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music for our theme song. And you can find Fred's music at frederickingram.com. 
And that's it for episode 28. So we thank you for listening and join us again next Friday for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. Horror Movie Podcast.